Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. From the leafy streets of Springwood, Ohio, to the barred windows at 1428, we are Halloweenies. This is God. And believe in my dream for me. Believe in my dream just for me. And we'll break the mold. Greetings and welcome once again to Halloweenies, a Freddy Krueger podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I am one of your co-hosts, Gothic Justin Gerber, a contributor to Consequence of Sound as well as the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Good news, everyone. It's a boy! (laughs) That's right. We're going to be discussing A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, the final 80s entry for the franchise, and in many ways, the end of the franchise, Mm -hmm. as we know it. But first, let's head around the table and, of course, across the pond and discuss the first time we remember seeing The Dream Child. Let's start off to our right. This is a a first-time guest of the Halloweenies podcast. Please introduce yourself. Let's go. That's right, bitch. (laughs) Uh, first time I, this is Mike Vanderbilt from, uh, the assistant editor of Daily Grindhouse. First time I remember seeing, uh, the dream child. I actually remember it very vividly. Uh, my buddy John Conrath, who I hung out with, he is, he had rented it. So this would have been, what, like spring of 80 or spring of 90, maybe? Yeah, that's probably it was next on year. VHS. Cause August 89, I think this came out. Mm-hmm. So it'll probably been the next year. And we watched it in my parents' basement. And I remember, us debating the line, we would have been nine, ten years old, what a little bit pregnant actually means. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is a weird line. There's some heavy <laughs> themes in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is uh, Michael Mark Gray Rothman. <laughs> the <laughs> classic character. Hey, I rode in here with a skateboard, just like Mark. So Just like Freddy. Yeah, just like Freddy also. How about that? Uh, editor-in-chief of Consequences Sound and also a constant contributor of the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast, uh, also presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about this one. I This is one of the... Um, uh, it's another entry in the Alice, uh, quote-unquote, not trilogy. Well, Alice entries, but uh, I, I'm... I believe they refer to the three, four, and five as the dream trilogy. I can that see makes that. Sense. Yeah, that, and that, so very excited about that because the, these are the ones that I, I rewatched the most uh, mm. when I was younger. And uh, this one stuck with me uh, big time. Like you, Mike, I, uh, I had to wait until rental for this one and... Yeah, my the, parents let me do pretty much whatever I wanted, watch whatever I wanted, but same. we never went to the show to see horror movies, yeah. even though my mom liked them too. They, like, they would have to drop me off because my mother, I mean, my father liked horror movies, but would like highbrow horror movies, like The Exorcist <laughs> or The Devil's Advocate. Um, yes, but- <laughs> highbrow. <laughs> that classic Taylor Hackford film. Yes, Devil's exactly. Advocate. So for me, it was, I, I, the only Freddy film I actually saw in theaters on its original run was Freddy versus Jason. So really, I, yeah, oh, I guess I, I'm looking forward um, to August. My so. dad took us to me and my sister to see Freddy's dead on Oof. a Tuesday night. Cause Ooh. we had to see, we had to on see a Tuesday it in night. 3D. Like ah, was, Tuesday night, we would have been 11 or 12. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, again, we'd had to see the 3D. I mean, yeah. At that point, Freddy wasn't scary. anymore. No, no. no and he's no, not no. really scary in this one no. either, but, um, they try though. 
As a kid, I, I did think that this one was uh, genuinely terrifying uh, for the same ways that I thought Nightmare 4 was terrifying because of the, uh, the imagination of ways that Freddy uh, mm. dismembers uh, well, his, uh, his victims. Let's, uh, let's go across the pond, all the way down across the pond in Texas. <laughs> uh, this is, I may have made this joke last time. This is Dan, Dan uh, Caffrey. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Hassel. One of the hunkiest. Uh, Y'all just got a cute secrets. little nickname for everybody around here, oh, don't oh, you? Yeah. We, we oh, like yeah. A, a compilation tape of all our awful nicknames. Oh, yeah. It's a, I know we said it's a boy, but it's a bit. You know, we've got lots <laughs> of bits here at this, uh, this podcast. Um, yeah, I saw, I, I didn't see Nightmare 5 till later in life. I remember when I was a kid, I actually really like the original poster art for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the same artist who does it all. He always has like one Freddy's eyes dismembered and it looks very surreal and dreamy. I don't know the artist's name, but he did all the Nightmare posters. But the VHS that I saw as a kid was <laughs> Freddy hovering over the carriage that yes. we see in the movie. Yeah, same here. We'll talk boy. about that in a bit. He's, he's making his shh, like, oh, it's a boy. Um, which is funny because when I before I saw the movie, I, I didn't know the carriage was a carriage. Like I couldn't tell what it was, so the, the cover was always very strange to me. Uh, so yeah, so I, I always had a lot of um, anticipation about this one before seeing it. And I remember the back of the VHS also had actually made the movie look, I think, maybe more serious than it was. It had um, Greta coming out of the fridge, but it, lo- it looked like not as not as cartoony. And then it had that little kid from Jurassic Park with the with the Freddie Burns on his face. So. I was always very intrigued by this one. Um, and yeah, I don't think I saw it though until I was, man, maybe in my twenties. I think it would, it, it was a while before I got to it. Uh, and I'll save my thoughts for when we, when we get into it. Yeah. Uh, again, this is of course, Gothic Justin Gerber. Um, the first time <laughs> I remember, I remember seeing that teaser poster as well, Dan, I was well versed in who Freddie was in 1989, but I'd still uh, not seen any of the movies. I wouldn't really be allowed to see any horror movies until I was about 12, 13, at least R rated modern movies i could see you know psycho and, and, and things like that and yeah, arguably I, more ter- is arguably more terrifying than anything oh yeah of course of course but <laughs> in, i saw psycho way too young by the way it was an accident that's a whole other story but uh yeah Dan, i remember when that video box came out and i thought even as a child i went oh this is this is lame marketing like yeah. they should have just stuck with those gorgeous uh that gorgeous original especially since print. they have one you yeah know, they the, had it's like they just yeah it's it's and frustrating that but. artist's name was matthew joseph peak yes hmm. awesome he art he all actually, of them all the way through five i don't yeah, think he did he one actually for six. just did one recently for a special one for six that he posted that's out there that looks you know of course it looks incredible yeah but you know you gotta just really dumb it down and have freddie you know shh, with that blue background and the and the black carriage you know? and he also is whist- he's doing this on oh, yeah. the original poster but it looks but so much more it's, menacing it's a great it's great artwork though mm-hmm. you know he also he always loved doing the things with the eye where like the eyes taken out of the head and it's like its own sort of thing yeah it's almost yeah. this like it's like this running theme even from the first movie and something that he did also um is i feel like freddie doesn't look 100% like he does in the movies in a good way. It's almost like this impressionistic version of Freddy that he does in all the posters. Um, it's, it's like, like all the, um, cool. it's like the even book artwork for the dark tower books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, totally. it's kind of like, it's not quite the exact animation. It's almost this avant-garde version of the dark tower or whatever. Well, if you like but, the dark tower, you can follow us on the losers club. <laughs> Stephen Stephen King King podcast. Podcast. <laughs> I, I will that. say though, of, of all the movies, when I finally watched this one as a child, this was probably my least favorite. Mm. But Dan, I remember well, right when I moved to Chicago, we watched this about nine, ten yeah. years ago, and we think we were both kind of like, "Oh, this is actually pretty good." But we'll save our we'll save our thoughts on that. And there's some reasons why I think this movie did not do well um, because maybe it didn't resonate with young teens 
as well. You know, it's, it's, it's we, not uh, a fun time. This is going to be watch like this and Freddy's Dead back to back, and I think that just illustrated how, <laughs> how bad Freddy's Dead is. Um, I, yeah, from well, what I remember, I think we gotta like, disagree on that one. Oh, well, uh, oh you gotta have me back for the next one then. I, I, that is Freddy's Dead is easily my Halloween five, where I always forget. Like, why don't I like this movie? And then, and then I start watching. I'm like. Oh yeah, yeah. That's why I don't like. Well, this movie. it's interesting you mentioned Halloween Five because you know obviously that came out in '89 as mm-hmm. well, and you get the sense that, and this is something maybe we can discuss in the next section. But '89 is a very particular year for just like all the horror titans well, in mm-hmm. general. Yeah, you know? it's the end of the road. Mm-hmm. You got Jason Takes Manhattan, mm-hmm. The Revenge of Michael Myers, mm-hmm. and uh, Dream Channel. We all know which one is the best one. Yeah, uh, The Revenge of Michael Myers. <laughs> That's absolutely oh, gotcha. the one to go to. Uh, <laughs> speaking of gothic overtones. Yeah, seriously. No, but it really is the dream shot. I think actually, yeah. who was it? I think maybe Brad from Blade Disgusting posted something about that a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, the dream shot is the best one of those well, three. Well, yeah. here's the thing. Easily. The worst Nightmare on Elm Street sequel yeah. is still more imaginative and more entertaining than the best Halloween or Friday the 13th sequel, I would say. I would agree with that. Because, wait, wait, wait. Well, well mm, with the exception nah. of maybe Halloween 3, just because I think Halloween 3 is... It's its own thing. I'm tired of talking about Halloween 3. <laughs> I know you are. It's its, <laughs> own, it's its own thing. We get it. We all know you love it. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. My, my thing is with... I, I agree it's with you in that sense because I, because I think Freddy's Dead is the, is the weakest one. We'll ta- discuss that in the next episode, yeah. but... My thing about that is that even though, and I bring it up only because I think Halloween 5 is just the worst of, of, <laughs> of the Halloween sequels. So, like, it's fair to talk about this right now. Is that uh, Halloween this, Resurrection? In, well, Halloween Resurrection, I don't even count because, like, what Mike said with Halloween 3, I think it's, it's its own, like, thing, too. Like, when the original run of, like, the, the sequels, when it was still, like, you know, the 80s Titans going back to back against each other. Yeah. I can revisit Freddy's Dead and still find things that are, like, what he was saying, imaginative and interesting. I can't really do that with, like, say, Jason Takes Manhattan or, absolutely, you know, oh, or no. like The Revenge of Michael Myers, which is just, Agreed. there are aspects of it that are kind of okay, but even then they're always undercut by, like, just stupidity. And I can't always say that with everything that's in Freddy's Dead. And I anyway. think I do kind of agree with you, Mike, when you, when you mentioned you highlighted imagination, mm-hmm. because the Friday 13th sequels, which I love, and I actually do like a few Friday 13th sequels even more than the worst nightmare sequel, but it's not because of any imagination. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's because sure. of the aesthetic and oh, yeah. it takes you back in time. And it's the, it's the, the creative, you know, disgusting gore and kills. How many did you see Friday in theaters? Friday? Yeah. The first one I saw in theaters was Jason goes to hell. Oh, and then everything after that. So you never got to see like even Manhattan? I was too young. I was like eight years old. Yeah. yeah we're, we all got, we're all about the same age, yeah. right? Within yeah. like two, three years. Well, Mike's yeah. dad, he probably saw less than zero at three years old or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He didn't care. Was like, <laughs> well, I, I got to see Look Who's Talking. Uh, oh, like, controversial. You weren't yeah. even 13 yet. It was pretty cool. Um, but <laughs> no, but the first, uh, the first nightmare movie I saw was New Nightmare and that was a good experience. Uh, that was, yeah, I went the weekend that one came out. Was exciting. Oh, one of the ten that went to go see that movie, and then um, um, what well, was speaking of one of the ten, <laughs> the lowest grossing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, yeah, yeah. which and is what, funny because it's probably what the highest one of the highest regarded right, sequels, absolutely. Yeah. And then I also saw Curse of Michael Myers, my first Halloween I, movie. So I did see, Same. I did see Curse in theaters also. But I had to sneak into that, which I, I mean, I discussed that in our uh, yeah, that's Curse of right. Michael Myers in the first season of Halloweenies. But listen to that. Look, <laughs> my head kind of hurts. Yeah, it's, and I think I need to go see a doctor. Well, let's let's go see one. Wait, wait. You sure you want to see a doctor or oh, shit. What's maybe, a, uh, maybe, what's the uh, I'll tell you what, Mike, <laughs> I know you really want to see a doctor right now, <laughs> but I haven't seen you in a while. And I do have a question for you. Would you like to know what the question is? What? Don't miss me. 
Okay, this is obviously the pivotal category in this episode where we're going to discuss all the latest news surrounding Freddy Krueger. Mike, is there anything? Uh, nope. You know, I've got a headache, and yes. <laughs> it's such a bad headache. I feel like I'm going crazy. Is there any any uh, any like institute nearby you can uh, check me into? Well, I'll quote Dr. Dre. I need a doctor. Ah, maybe that doctor can be found at Weston Hills Asylum. The fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. You won't make any progress until you recognize your dreams for what they are. And what are they? The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts and overt sexuality. Oh, great. Nass, my dick is killing me. Okay, for this section, we're going to talk about the basic rundown, the behind the scenes of uh, the dream child, including... The writers, the directors, the producers, and just what went into making this movie. Did you movie. like uh, my little gaffer son I did? It was like somebody, was you know, like a doctor drinking coffee. Oh, I, too I, long I, on I thought I was going to make the final cut for this oh, episode. Gonna, but we'll do it again. Get, I thought it was more like Freddy uh, sliding his tongue over someone's cheek. Oh, that could be cool, too. <laughs> I, well, I thought you were doing a shot of uh, coffee grounds with a can of Coke or something. Gross. Oh. <laughs> Well, snorting a can. It does sound like that, actually. But you know, either way, no. This is this is. Uh, I'm imagining a uh, Craig Wasson's character, um, ah. just uh, being like, "God, I'm fucking what, tired." Thirty-two year old Craig Wasson. How old he was in that movie? Mm. Little, little late Craig shift here at Weston Hills. <laughs> I always people say, "What's your favorite name?" And I'll Mike. I go, "The one where Bill Maher fights a skeleton." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> love Bill Maher. The Ray Harryhausen, Stream Warriors. Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's talk a little bit about not only this uh, this film and the behind the scenes stuff, but we the the podcast. Uh, there was a bit of a scheduling emergency on another podcast, mm-hmm. so we we were bumped up a week. So we only had about three days prep. Yeah. For this episode. Fortunately, Mike Vanderbilt had roughly 76 pages of notes at the ready. <laughs> and so I was very excited to see that. We all did our research, obviously, but um, I didn't I'll even be reading into Mike a lot, I think, during the section. I didn't even rewatch the movie because like, oh. I, I put it on at the bar last night and for, we did four, five, and six. Oh, and nice. Said, um, in the background. So I was like, I just needed to get a little refresher on five because it was, I did see this one a lot simply because it was on cable. It was on USA all, all the time. It was a lot. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I feel like the Alice films were on like USA or TNT, like more so than like the first two or three. I remember on USA, they would have one, two, four, and five. But you had to rent three and you had to rent six. Like those were never on. And I TNT never saw had three. New Nightmare. I I always saw three on like Sci Fi Channel. Yeah, years later. Yeah. Years later, it was on yeah. Sci Fi. So. I just realized too. Maybe, so apologies if someone pointed this out over email already that we're recording this on Father's Day too. Which, oh. Uh, <laughs> oh my wow. god! <laughs> Fred did deliver. How did we all miss this? That is perfect. It's kismet. Yeah. It's kismet. I say. Uh, yeah. We're so anyway, Nightmare on Elm Part Four, extremely successful movie in 1988, came out. Wonderful time. So, as we all know, with these hungry Hollywood producers, we we gotta keep the momentum going. We can't we can't rely on you know creativity or pacing ourselves and making sure we give out the best product. We have to deliver something within a year, mm-hmm. and thus the Dream Child was delivered. I, I like to think of the Hollywood studio system as Anthony Michael Hall in um, Pirates Johnny of Silicon Good? Valley. Oh, no, no, the when he plays Bill Gates, and there's a great shot of him just being like, "I want it." I want it. That's Bob Shea. And I just imagine that's Bob Shea. Yeah. Just like, it, I got, I got to get a sequel. Give me a sequel. You know? Well, well they were I, also coming off the, I guess they were kind of in the middle of the, uh, what would become a failure, yeah. which is Freddy's nightmares mm-hmm. as well. Well, which we'll be talking about later this fall. We do have access 
to all of those episodes. Gotta yeah. help us all. I want to watch all of them. I'm, I'm going to. Yes. Um, so what happens is they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. I'll start it off. Yeah. And Mike, I'll let you interject. Obviously, um, Sarah Risher, who had been an executive producer on the franchise for years and years, uh, she just became a mother. I'm not sure if it was for the first time or again, but she thought it'd be pretty interesting if the logline is basically, you know, like Freddie has a kid. Mm-hmm. And that's the basic plot line. And so they went out there and they were looking into the splatterpunk genre of writers. Mike, do you have some information on the, the writers or the people that originally well, pitched see. this thing? There's a, There were a lot of different scripts yeah. uh, pitched for this one. As you can see in the opening credits. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's uh, David J. Shaw, mm-hmm. John Skip. Craig Spector. And Leslie Boehm. Yeah. Who ultimately is credited for the screenplay. Yes. yes. So I think, yeah, Sarah Risher uh, came up with the pitch, but I believe uh, Leslie, there's, you know, it's like anything else. There's many different versions of the truth mm-hmm. on this because I guess Leslie Boehm pitched part three yeah. Yeah. to be about uh, Freddie having a kid. Like babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so John Skip is credited with the story. He penned the Fright Night novelization, contributed to Fangoria, and David J. Shaw, who also contributed to Fangoria, who I remember reading in Fangoria, because he was one of the few guys who actually had his picture on his column. So I remember reading, he wrote a whole thing about the different uh, articles that were, or the different uh, scripts that were pitched hmm. for Nightmare on Street 5, which the most fascinating to me is uh, the one called uh, Freddy Rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, do uh, you want to talk about that one a yeah, little bit? Yeah, let's, let's, we can talk about that, it a little bit. That base basically had what was like the coma zone or the yeah. coma pit. Mm-hmm. Which was interesting because that I always love in these like earlier drafts when you get these like novel ideas that they ultimately dismiss. But when you think about them as like a conceit for an original sequel, you're like, why would you not take this? Well, uh, the Freddy Rules script reminds me a lot of the original Wes Craven draft for uh, Dream Warriors, yeah. which ended up making its way into the novelization. And it features that darker Freddy that they... They keep trying to bring him back to yeah. at this point, but you just can't do it. No. Not after not after four. No. I Especially mean, a year later, you know. Yeah. It's funny though, you mentioned that Nightmare on the Street Freddy Rules script. It was later repurposed. You know how they repurposed Simon says yeah. into Die Hard with a Vengeance? Yes. Well, they repurposed the Freddy Rules script into a, a late nineties Lasse Hallstrom movie starring Toby Maguire and Michael Caine. Oh really? How was Cider House Rules? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cider House Rules. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with this. <laughs> I was. I was. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, beautiful film, horrifying. Freddie does make an appearance. Check it out. We'll be covering that in November too. Deal with uh, uh, some more violent aspects of childbirth, similar to this movie. So you know. Well, let's talk about this. So you know, the toughest thing that happens in Dream Master, besides you know children dying, is Alice loses not only her best friend but her her brother. Mm-hmm. You know, which is obviously very sad. You want to double down on like serious themes. This movie has got some serious themes. I mean, obviously yeah. giving birth. Sure. As a man, oh, real tough, right? Um, but <laughs> we've got a teen pregnancy. Yeah. One. We have got the topic of abortion gets brought up. Yeah. And then the topic of somebody trying to take away your baby yeah. gets brought up. Two of those things get brought up in a span of two minutes. <laughs> and so I think what happened with this movie is. As a kid, you don't want to deal with like these heavy themes. This isn't, we're getting away from the fun Freddy that had been established in Dream Warriors and Dream Master. And of all the movies, you know, like you, we can like put on Dream Master and have it on. It's like a fun time. Yeah. I'm not like writing or reading with Dream Child in the background no. and Alice talking to dance parents about I know. Like, it's like a serious, dramatic scene, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that teens were really 
into this at the time. No, I don't think this is something that they want to like have a good time at the movies with. I, I mean, but it, it didn't okay. do well though, right? Like financially, I was looking it at twenty two million off of. Like, it was a quote unquote hit horror wise, but but it was the lowest grossing at this point. Well, all right. Well, also here's some context on that. Yeah, they also released it at the dumbest time possible. Like you know, you, August you, is the perfect time for trash, though. Well, yeah. no, like I just I still think with the eighties, it's like you had a formula going where you're like, okay, the fall season is going to be a horror movie season. But not only just the season did they release it wrong, but like look what it was up against. So yeah. it was released on August eleventh, nineteen eighty nine, in uh, nineteen o two theaters, uh, one thousand nine hundred and two. Oh wow, um, <laughs> one nine zero two. <laughs> and on the first weekend, it grossed eight million, falling behind Parenthood, great film, Ron Howard, Wonderful. which was had it grossed nine million. And then even more dubious is James Cameron's The Abyss, which is like an effects juggernaut, mm. and arguably I think one of his best movies. Absolutely, to be fair. Great movie. um, and so like it opened third, and then it tumbled to like eight the next weekend, and then it was just forgotten. And so it became like the second lowest grossing Nightmare on Elm Street film. And I mean, look at the like. Just think about like you're out there. It's the '89. It's the summer. That summer was just filled with like huge blockbusters. Last Crusade came the out. Batman, mm-hmm. License to Kill, Lethal Weapon Two. It was a huge Batman, movie. Ghostbusters yeah. Two, yeah. Ghostbusters Two. I mean, it's just was like, it Tracy '89 was at ninety. 90. It was ninety because okay. they pushed it back. To That's right. So and then they also pushed back Gremlins. They did, did not compete with that. But um, yeah, so you're, you're, you're like think about like you see Freddy come along, and especially towards the tail end of the summer, and when you're going up against two really big original films that would kind of set the bar for their respective genres. Like it was dead upon arrival. I, I think that they had a lot of pride thinking that this was going to be another smash because of the smash success of Dream Master. And I think uh, they got knocked down a peg after this. I mean, it took them, what, two years or so before they actually did uh, Freddy's Dead. I think that was 91 or 92, right? And it could have just been a genre uh, series running out of steam. I think that's the biggest problem with Freddy's Dead. I think Freddy's Dead is fine. It's not great. I stand by it, but it's just, it's running out of steam. And like, the times were changing, and maybe Freddy is in some way intrinsically tied to that '80s sensibility. Well, here's the thing, then I'm going to probably like I'm going to really stress upon this in my own like initial thoughts of or overall thoughts of the film. '89 is a very weird year. It's a, it's it's one of the the one times as a kid that I actually really still remember vividly. You know, it's this weird phantom zone between you know the '80s and '90s where it still just didn't really know what it was yet. You know, it was still holding on to stuff with the '80s that it knew about while also embracing sort of the new stuff that was coming with the '90s. And unlike this, the the exchange between the '70s and '80s or the '60s and '70s, it was like rough. I mean, it was just like you had things that just were. You even look at it now and be like, what fucking decade is this from? You know, and speaking of that, I was watching uh, Prince's Graffiti Bridge last week. I think it's a perfect rep- visual representation of that period, like right after the 80s. That came out in November of 90 mm-hmm. and going into the 90s where like you said it. And it's probably because we remember it more so mm-hmm. like where you are moving away from an 80s aesthetic to a 90s aesthetic. And mm-hmm. I think uh, Graffiti Bridge is a pretty good like visual example of like, we don't know what the hell we're doing. I think but we I, find that with just about every decade too, though. I mean, yeah, but I don't like think year it's 2000 is a strange thing. 2010 is a weird year. And yeah, but I, I would say like, it's really coarse with this one just because the 80s is so like flamboyant and loud and wild and vivid and just so unique. You know, with the 70s, you still have like tenets of the a lot of like the tropes for the 60s it's kind of molded into its own sort of like brown and orange aesthetic and it, you still can see a lot of like the, the the marriage there but with the 90s it's almost like it was trying to like outdo the 80s in mm-hmm. a weird way you know like oh they did neon well we're gonna do day glow and then we're also gonna go crazy and add like 
weird ass like fucking specs on the shit and lots you know, of have spandex. like lots, lots of, of spandex, spandex that's also kind of tied to the 80s but it's not well that's like, th- let's, on top of that mike it's a really good point because think about this also dream master comes out in 88 right mm-hmm. it's in heavy metal and you know glam metal whatever is still yeah. very popular at this time still owns the charts yeah oh, absolutely 89 comes along we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of bleach yeah like sub pop is now really on the rise yeah. now we're into this really strange alternative music wave that you can't really put on like Soundgarden on the Dream Child or you know Nirvana but, on the but, Dream Child. But even that music, like if you think about it, it still hasn't figured itself out. It's, that's what I'm saying. And it's a very crazy. I agree with you in terms of the transitioning out. Because like, that Dream Master is so we we, we had a 30-minute discussion about the songs in that. There are no songs in this movie at all until the end credits. Yeah, and that song, which that that cool Modi (laughs) song is brutal, but which is up there with. And just think about all the the movies that like would kind of utilize that same thing. Like like Ghostbusters Two has that sort of same thing where it's Mm -hmm. like this old school hip hop that's also just starting to kind of take on new swings. NWA has been around barely, but we're still kind of hanging on to like the Fat Boys. It's this weird. Like also the uh, beginning of the oh we're gonna do the rap song in the credits that kind of is about the movie or mm -hmm. summarizes the movie a little yeah. bit which it's funny because aladdin just did that with will smith like as this throwback to that era but i feel like it's it's kind of the beginning of that yeah and i and i, I don't know if that it, it kind of has this sort of left behind quality to it I, and i think about it almost like you're talking about the tim lahey series left i am t- uh, talking about that kirk cameron my boy um subway sandwiches uh i but but you also think about like some of the stuff that was happening around that era that were also part of the 80s that just felt like and I'm going to talk about this more also with my, my like overall thoughts, but like there's this like sort of like loneliness to it. Like, Oh, mm. it's over. Wow. I, I didn't know. Like we're still kind of partying, you know? And well, you were partying at five years old. No, I'm just saying like <laughs> in general, just like metaphorically, like I love the eighties at nine years old. Yeah. But I understand oh, what I, you're I, saying. I remember because, the whole like, deal. I remember that I was literally alive the entire time. So <laughs> it's kind of a, it was, it's weird when I think about that year, like what Batman came out in June, mm-hmm. this came out in August. August, like that same year, I was like excited for Batman and an R-rated Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah, and and also like even just think about like some of the hot you know touchdowns of the '80s. They were already starting to see their decline like big time. I mean, like Miami Vice, which is a signature part of the '80s, is in its fifth season at this point, and it's like if you watch that show, I'm a religious Miami Vice fan. It is just depressing yeah. because you just it's they wear that sort of like kind of like worn down aesthetic of like it's over like this is it's done like, well it goes, we through, it goes, the next it goes throughout pop culture even if you look at sports for instance the, mm-hmm. the showtime lakers this is it this is the end of their run too the in the late 80s so yeah. it's all but they kind of come back in 91 but everything's changing as the new decade approaches and a new nightmare uh, was no exception to that yeah, yeah. well the only not person- new night this new nightmare <laughs> film not the newest nightmare, nightmare. Yes. <laughs> the newest nightmare in 1989, of course. You know, you know who was able to uh, cut through it all? Um, Mr. Michael Jackson, who uh, was able to reinvent himself around this time. He sure but, was. But that's a... <laughs> that's a very different <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's talk about another... I can't tell the mind. joke. I can't I, tell I the joke. I had a great oh, joke, yeah. but I don't... Let's just get back to somebody who's got similar traits, Freddy Krueger. Um, um, allegedly. One, one, allegedly. One glove, hat, uh, burn victim. <laughs> oh, that's all I'm saying. Like, it goes on and on. It goes on. Well, let's, let's talk about the uh, director. Of this film, Stephen Hopkins. You're a big fan. Yeah, I mean, it, listen, I watched all. He did. He directed a lot of 24 episodes. A lot of Tales yeah, from the Crypt he did episodes. A lot of 24. Oh, I have, a, I have a 24. nice little revelation that involves uh, King's Dominion. I, so do I, which I was shocked to hear mm-hmm. about. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But he also directed Predator Two. Yeah. 
So he got I like the, Predator 2. He got the I'm game on, for Predator 2. Because he turned around uh, Dream Child so fast. Yeah. it's He was hired in February and it came out in August. Think yeah. about that. Um, he also directed Blown Away. Well, you know, it's not that good. The other, the other Mad Bomber movie <laughs> right. from 1994, the one that doesn't have the bus in it. Uh, he did the, the Ghosts in the Darkness. I actually don't with, mind that. With, uh, oh, the movie with the lions. Mike D and uh, Val K. Oh, man. I'm a, I think that movie is fucking awesome. I, I do, love too. Ghost in the Never saw hey, it. Which, uh, hey, you guys, in, you're in Chicago. You can go see those real-life lions at the Field Museum. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Oh, really? Really? That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the man-eaters of Sabo. The lion, they're, they're not as big in real life, obviously. Um, the skins were donated back in the day. So I thought I don't maybe think they were still like, alive and just hanging around the <laughs> Lincoln Park Zoo. Yeah, yeah that's it. No, seriously, it's, it's cool. It's like one of the first things I saw in uh, uh at the Field Museum, and I was excited about. It. But yeah, look up the Man Eaters of Sabo. He um, but no, he also did uh, he did Lost in Space, Oof. which I think has some ties into t- t- Titanic. Was that the first movie that overtook Titanic after a year at number one, or, it, it or was, was it the, the first that the first that is that right? I think first that might be right about Lost in Space. In that yeah. time period, yeah. And he also, I believe, executive producer directed early episodes of Californication. Mm-hmm. David Duchovny, I remember that. More importantly, here's what I discovered, Mike, and I think we're on the same page here. Apparently, he's executive producing and directing early episodes of the new Dark Tower series. Yeah, he's doing the pilot. Yeah. How about Which that, is man? exciting. You know, he's I, a good director, really good genre director. He I, really absolutely. is. I, I mean, I, I think his direction here is is pretty great in the sense of the way he's able to kind of bring it back down to this sort of tranquil, almost um, dark, more gothic oh, overlook. Oh, definitely very gothic. You know what's yeah. funny is I, I thought I was so smart. Because watching the movie, I was taking notes like, oh, yeah, gothic overtones, gothic. And then, of course, I go to watch the documentary and right away, Bob Shea is talking about how every European director wants to make their entry gothic. <laughs> I go to Wikipedia and like the first paragraph says, gothic overtones. Like, God, damn. of course, everybody is on the same page. But it does. And because think about the opening credits to Dream Warriors and yeah. Dream Master, right? You got this kind of heavy metal <laughs> song in Dream Warriors. You've got the Tuesday night pop rock slash faux glammy song. And then this one, it's this Michael Mannish, blue hue. Very yeah. stri- I remember very being striking, you know, very weirded out by that when I was watching. It I can't make out what the body time. parts are. You know, I still can't make out what the body. <laughs> we parts We were trying are. really hard when we were watching it to make out what the body parts were when we were ten. That's I was like, is sure. that a is that the small of somebody's back or a belly button? You know, yeah. it's one of those things. But it's once again, it's a a huge departure from the kind of fun we're having a party, we're doing coke. And now it's like we're not having fun, but we're still doing cocaine. I'm still kind of astounded that a music video director never directed a Nightmare on the Street movie. Yeah, you know, the ah, closest they... You kind of ass- I kind of assumed they were Bernie kind Harlan of the, uh, had done music videos before, and I kind of assumed Stephen Hopkins had done music videos before. Neither one of them did. No, you're right. That's Hopkins really was on, what, he wrote second unit on Highlander, too, before this. Yeah, he did. He was one of Russell Mulcahy's... Uh, uh, Ooh, Russell McKay from Rambo Three. <laughs> I I love the blue hues in this. I do, I, and I and I'm a huge fan of that sort of wash over things. It reminds me of um like you say Michael Mann, but it also reminds me of a lot of early Carpenter. And I I think with with this that that sort of the bluish hues really do add into the thematic value that we're discussing, which is you know that this is, this movie is a very isolated film because you it's know cold. it's dealing with like a you know, what's going to ostensibly be a single mother. And mm-hmm. there's something really like 
palpable about those feelings when you're watching just his direction alone. Like we're, we're watching a lot of the characters in these like wide open shots. There aren't a lot of like, there are a lot of, you know, close ups, obviously, but we get a lot of great like peripheral sort of visions here with like the characters being like foregrounded or backgrounded. Well, and I feel he does a really good job of saving those close ups for the dream sequences. Yeah. And you know, a dream sequence is about to really kick in, mm-hmm. and especially Dan. I- I'd like you to speak on this too, because you were part of the production, but. The ins- no, no, no. I mean, no, 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 the, 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 no, no. Hold on, no. This is gonna make the production I'm about to talk about. Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, I thought you meant like a yeah. Dan I was, was like, a consultant. Wait. Dan was a little consultant. <laughs> a little baby. He was a consultant for the well, baby. Danny Caffrey just sitting there in the um, director's chair. Dan, you were involved with the play uh, Marat Saad. I was. And I yes. was reminded of that. The conclusion of that play um, mm. during the asylum sequence. Where yeah. they kind of just, and it, it seems like you're kind of, they're innocently just walking around, stumbling around, but once those doors locked and the nun is trapped in there, you know, all hell breaks loose. Totally. Well, it's, it's funny too, because I, I was actually reminded of that as, as well. It's funny because in the, in the, in the theater world, there's actually, I feel like Rod Sod is looked at as kind of controversial because of its depiction of, of mental patients, you know, but my whole, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get into that here. I disagree with that. I actually, I don't think that's the point of the play. But I do think Murat Saad kind of sent that template for almost like that Grand Guignol kind of horror that takes place in mental, mental institution, just that slow boiling tension and everything. Yeah. And I love it too, because the beginning of that, of that sequence, it's not, I mean, it's obviously, yeah, that's probably not what most, most mental asylums look like, but I think it's totally within the aesthetics of the film. You know, like you, we keep throwing around this word Gothic, like it, exactly. it feels very, it's yeah, all very, it's, very it's heightened. And yeah. also, I mean, in, in, you know, if you want to defend it, you could say it's a dream. It's not yeah, a true so, depiction exactly. of, uh, you know, if anything, if anything, like for a quote unquote true depiction, look at dream warriors. I mean, the kids are somewhat normal, but they're troubled. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not like stumbling around in straight jackets and whatnot. So one, well, the yeah, rooms are very fair. sterile and everything like that yeah. too. And also too, I guess this would have been, I mean, when was, when was Freddie's born where Freddie's born, Freddie's, Freddie's birthday. I mean, this was also a while ago back when, Mental institutions were maybe not as uh, as sanitized and and friendly as they are now. You're right. It would have been when like they the called 40s, them nut houses. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, no, no joke. I mean, all, and uh, hey, you get to see old uh, old Bobby England with uh, his makeup off, uh, which I actually think is pretty yeah. cool in the beginning of it too. I like yeah. when he breaks the fourth wall and he like looks at the camera. And he's like, mm, "It's me." <laughs> yeah. I just kind of like yeah. He's such a. I love Robert England as an actor. He's such a fucking ham though. You can, like you can his hamminess just radiates when it, whenever I think as the series goes on, it just becomes more. Well, like... Oh, I got um, I, I, I got some <laughs> thoughts on England for ham. this fucking movie, but uh, but again, I mean. Okay, so we got this dream sequence at the very beginning, and it's about Amanda Krueger, you know, being raped by yeah. the quote unquote the hundred maniacs, maniacs, whatever it is. Very. Uh, this is the first few minutes of the movie. Yeah, and once again, we're setting a very dark tone now. You know, oh, well, what's so strange about this movie? And again, it's it's kind of like what happens with Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. They neutered this movie like crazy because it was really really dark. Mm. Um, but. What's the, the what's also a problem is that like they also really didn't have a concrete script going into this. This is like Jurassic Park three. They were constantly and, rewriting on the and on they're, set. exactly, and you can tell because like literally all these things that are happening in the beginning are things that would happen like the middle of the third act of a movie. Like, mm. it, it, but it starts off that way. Like, we don't even get to the kids and any of the principal characters until like maybe fifteen or twenty minutes into the film, um, which I. You know, I like that sort of unorthodox approach, but it also, it also doesn't help narratively. Mm. Um, and so, like, you I know, do appreciate that they were, and maybe it might have been laziness too, that they kind of, uh, what do I want to say, had faith in the audience that you saw three, you saw yeah. four. Yeah, it like, feels like it's kind you can of, build off of this. It's almost like a, 
let me make the obvious comparison, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we know who everybody <laughs> is at this point, so we're going to introduce Jabba, and we're not going to get to the Darth Vader storyline for 30 minutes, you know? I mean, the, I think one of the issues with, with that is that, like, again, you're coming off of four mm-hmm. which is which literally ends with shanae o'connor like just like singing yeah. and there's this like sort of like upbeat sort of passage there and when you go back into this which is like you're dealing with like something incredibly visceral and like it, it's almost played to the same sort of campy effect that you know the rest of the series has been doing with a lot of uh the you know the big effects driven stuff but you're dealing with like really serious gritty drama that is you know presented effectively in three because we don't actually see the events, but we see them in the context of serious discussions. Mm-hmm. And when you see them here, and you're coming into this movie, and it's a blockbuster, you know, it's supposed to be a quote unquote blockbuster, and these are some of the first things you're seeing. It's like it is a little jarring, and I will say, like to- tonally, it it sets the wrong tone for this movie. I, I mean, I like the tone it goes on, but it's like trying to what is it? The the trying to put the monster back in the cage or something like that. Like that's what mm-hmm. they're almost trying to do to make it scary again. I don't, but, it, but you can't do that once you've already let, let it loose. So if just, I may, I mean, you said you jokingly said Return of the Jedi, but it's actually closer to Alien Three. I think it in is. a way yeah. Yeah. like, Oh yeah. All those characters you love, they're dead. Now. They're yeah. And we're going to, and they, that went darker trying to bring it back to the original alien the same way. This one's trying to bring back the original nightmare on the street. But yeah. like, like you said, the monster out of the cage, like Freddy's Freddy at this point, it's hard to do, but I do respect them for trying it because, and I, yeah. I, I it was, uh, they talked about it in the script writing process and it was something I noticed when I was watching it as an adult is that they were trying to grow with the audience. Like, even though it was only a year later, like, like they're those older teenagers are, getting, now. Yeah, are, they're, are older now, you yeah, know, and they're going to have to deal with, I mean, more adult issues, at least more adult issues for a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It's funny because if you take, if you took this movie out and you just said there was three, four and six, like, like you wouldn't suspect that there was something missing there, you know, because six feels more like a truer sequel to the fourth one than the fifth one does to the fourth one in terms of the tone. Yeah, it you know does. I mean? No, totally. And, and I think that's the the problem with this film itself is that I actually like the serious tones but you have one uh, major principal character well, who I know the isn't thing, going but actually with the with Here's the, the thing. Well, let's save the Freddy. We have to save yeah, the Freddy we have talk to for the next Freddy's, segment. We, we got some things to say about But that. that's one of my major but issues I, I think as an adult, I like this movie far more than I did when I was younger. Oh, 100%. I agree. Like, yeah. Far more than I did. And I, just watch, I was watching the movie with fellow Halloweeny Mac and... Like every once in a while, every couple of months, I'd be like, oh, "That's actually pretty good." Yeah, like, that's good. This well, is good. That's good. Like, and, and here's one of the jarring. You know, well, here's one of the reasons why it's because this is one of the first films, and probably the last, the only film that really like allows the sort of like breathing room for its characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, like think about all those moments in this movie where like the teens are just hanging out. And they're just being themselves. Like you never get that in any of the other I movies. I definitely want to talk about those in that category too, because I've got some well, good takes on. Or, or, I'm going to pat myself the best, on the back. The best I've got takes. some positive thoughts about yeah. the characters in this one. Well, I mean, just Nightmare on Elm Street movies as a whole. Something that they did better than if you want to compare them to the big three. You know, uh, Elm Halloween, Street, Halloween, Friday Thirteenth is that. The Elm Street movies were always very good about giving you likable characters. Yeah, so I agree. And yeah. you like these kids immediately right off the bat. Nobody's a real jag off or anything. They don't have the one kid who they rarely paint one character as, well, he's the asshole who you're supposed to cheer mm-hmm. when he dies. Like they never give you that. You're right. Yeah. There's, no, there's no bullies in the nightmare franchise. No. It's just strange. Do, uh, do you all think that it is? I mean, and I, and I completely agree about the characters themselves and making those comparisons to other series. Do you think it's always funny though in the nightmare series how, 
I feel like all this shit happens in the previous movie. Like Alice's friends, like all get killed, oh, yeah. and then like, it's like a year later, she's like a brand new group of yes. friends we've never seen. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Well, they're she, all she, willing to like know, jump in the line of fire. She so. had to make new friends, you know. <laughs> she had no more friends. I wouldn't hang out with her. No. I don't know. She seems a little cursed. Well, <laughs> oh, maybe I know she's a stone cold yeah. fox in this one, though. So yeah, maybe yeah. I would have been oh, hanging yeah. around. It just cracks me up because, like I said, I like the characters, but I'm just thinking timeline-wise, like, man, it would probably be a year before you would even recover from the oh, – yeah. begin to recover from the Well, you know, she, the, the key – I think the key is she still had – Dan yeah. lived yeah. in the fourth one, yeah, so he, he was pretty popular dude, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Dan, Dan – hey, not only, not only is he a hunk and a – and a jock, he's also really smart. Apparently, he's like the valedictorian. So, I mean, he's he's a gateway to a lot of. I hate guys he, like that. I think that he was a valedictorian. I think though he was a valedictorian. How you know Zach Morris was a valedictorian? Yeah, right. I, I think he just got a speech. I don't think it was actually valid. BMOC. I, I no, feel like. Uh, no, who was valedictorian at their college was uh, Stephen Jenkins of a uh, Third Eye Blind. I think, he, I no, think he's that. Dan, he was a Dan. He was salutatorian. Oh man, yeah. So please, oh, was please he really? Get Stephen Jenkins uh, facts right. Oh wow, cool, still. Man. Hey, you know, second, uh, first place loser, you know, this is, uh, this has been third eye pod. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to No, going. I have, I have one little thing to, to, to add to that is that like, yeah. I do think that this film is ultimately, this ultimately has like the days of future past problem mm-hmm. in which this probably should have had like another entry in between these. Maybe there, there could have been a little bit because like, I'm dealing with a lot one. of, yeah, like another follow up that would have allowed Alice to kind of be more of a teenager as opposed to like, you know, jump right into like the sort of adult things. Cause like when you see her in nightmare four, she's trying to like come out of her own cell, you know, yeah. her own shell. And then immediately she has to kind of deal with these, like contend with these really adult themes. I feel like if there was one, cause first off, I always just wanted Alice to have like a trilogy anyway. And I, I still think that she could still have like a, a great, um, bring her back. Third chapter. That's who but, they need to bring back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, camp. Um, but, but there does seem to be as if like, there was an arc that they were building towards and maybe like, like five could have been like one that they did like after this, like missing entry in a, in a respect. Well, you know, what's funny. This is kind of goes back to my Halloween experience, Mike, because I saw five before I saw four. Oh, wow. So if, to me, it just seemed like its own standalone story. Yeah. And I would treat the fourth one as like, Oh, here's, here's what Dan and her went through before. Yeah. So I kind of had built in my own imagination as to what her life was like. Yeah. So it's, I have a totally different, yeah, read on experience on that, obviously. And I do respect the Elm Street movies. And I guess every series did try it for always trying to bring back the heroes from the previous yeah, movie. Yeah, definitely. Not, I mean, well, I guess. For the last two, the last two, uh, Paramount, yeah, they were the 13th, kind of it was two different characters, but then they at least they had Tommy Jarvis for yeah. three of them. Yeah. You know, I always liked when they brought back the hero too, which is one of the reasons I always liked the Evil Dead series as much as I did, because you were following the hero as well as the villain. Well, exactly. here's a question I have based on that. Like, do you feel that Nightmare influenced Friday to actually have those stable heroes? No, I don't think so. Because I'm trying to think because by the time five, came, five came out in '85, and that would have been the same year as you're right. And then Nightmare Two. Jarvis yeah. had already had three movies in Friday before Alice was even introduced, or even Kristen was introduced. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right, so well. they had established that pretty well. How about that? How about that? Well, <laughs> we'll be talking all about that hopefully next year. Well, that's where podcast. we're going. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. The, the Holy Trinity. It could be the Unholy Trinity. The that's unholy. what we could yeah. promote it as. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, listen, we're going to keep talking about, obviously, inevitably, the behind the scenes things and, and the filmmaking yeah. will be brought up as we go along. But let's head on to our, our next category. A really good baseball player, of course. Um, he, he, he was a famous Blue Jay. He went to the Mets later in his career. <laughs> and whenever I wanted to get his attention, of course, we're talking about Carlos Delgado. And I would say, oh, Carlos, 
Lend me your ear. No! Great transition, Justin. Thank you very much. Loved it. Home run. Yeah, a game. Uh, a game today. Uh, thank, thank, Grand, you. thank Grand you. Slam. Thank you. Grand Slam. This section, we should also probably bring this up, what we're going to be talking about, is about the, the score to the movie and any songs that were within this movie. Now, once again, we spent, God, 30 minutes during the Dream Master talking about the songs. Because the songs drove. Yeah. They really drove the movie. They, they drove do. every scene. That's MTV Freddy. That's That's exactly. We talked about that. And this is not MTV Freddy at all. Well, I think it's because, like you were saying, just because of the, about the, the cultural shift, yep. mm-hmm. like music was changing too. Mm-hmm. And Freddy was always, it's kind of weird that Freddy was always like, and when you look at this, the way the sound, the actual like soundtrack was split up, one mm-hmm. side was all rock and rock and roll heavy. and guitar driven pop, and the other side was hip hop. Mm-hmm. And Freddie appealed to those were the two cults yeah. that Freddie appealed to throughout the eighties. I mean, Freddie appeared in the Fat Boys video and a Dokken video. Yeah, yep, that's true. Within a year of each other, he really united. Um, Quick question world. about the Dokken thing. <laughs> he was the public like, enemy and <laughs> anthrax of his, of his time. <laughs> I, well, no, I just realized something. This movie is directed by Stephen Hopkins, who also directed Judgment Night. Yes. Yep. And that was the first rap rock soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And yeah. is the Nightmare on Elm Street 5 soundtrack the blueprint for that? Oh, it could be. Let's gonna, we're going to promote this episode as, as that. <laughs> yes. Wait, real quick, this though. Fused so, in the movie, there, there, it's, I think it's right before Mark's death, or we're seeing, we're yeah. seeing like Mark's studio. On TV, we see like a politician or a host talking to some <laughs> hair metal band. Is yes. that Dokken or is, is no? That I, I didn't it's, recognize uh, who it was. It's, it's I want to say one of the drummers for Kiss, not Peter Chris. Is it the Eric fellow who Carr, Eric Carr? It might be Eric Carr. I think Eric, is yeah. it, there's somebody from Kiss who's in that band, but he's not part of that band, and I don't think it's a real band. Damn it! I should have. I knew I should have looked it up because I read it in the trivia section on Internet Movie Database. <laughs> Just <laughs> go always, there. Read it for yourself, always reliable guys. IMDb. Yeah. But this is again. So there's the only time you hear a song apparently, which I didn't even notice, is early on when uh, what, what's her name? Uh, I guess it's Alice and Yvonne or, or walking in the park, and you you lightly hear "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter" in the background. But then you don't hear any written other songs. Written for the movie. Yeah. yeah and performed by movie, Bruce yeah. Dickinson's Sam's yeah. Iron Maiden. With the, which, which is... Uh, I remember Mac and I in college, we we wrote this play together, and we very prominently featured Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. Oh. It. So it was Eric Singer, who was yeah, a former Eric drummer Singer. for Alice Cooper, Black Sabbath, Badlands, and then the current Kiss drummer. Yeah. He makes a cameo as one of the band members on the television show. So that's... They it's don't really say, well, you know, who the whole strange band how is. Strange how they do that. So it was actually filmed for the movie. That's weird. Yeah. Very strange. But... Very strange. So we'll we'll spend a, like a couple seconds, I guess. First of all, the Kumo cool D song is jarring, awful. Does not fit in at all with the no. f- ninety minutes we've been sitting through. And just for the record, we have uh, on my Spotify playlist. If you mm. want to find it, we'll share it. The soundtrack, so you can listen to ah. it during this portion of the of the show. I found yeah. every song except for the Samantha Fox tune. Sorry, I've, Samantha. Fox. Okay, so aside from Bruce Dickinson, I have never heard of any of the accents. Same here. same thing. I really, think, Romeo's daughter. I feel that. I know. Ro- I know Romeo Void. But I, I know, know Romeo Void. Too. I love but Romeo Void. I'll tell you what. Having put together this playlist, "Heaven" by Romeo's daughter is the winner. Off really, of this soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I, 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 I do love um, "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter." At least the Iron Maiden version, which is a little. Well, you different. love Iron Maiden. I so. love Iron Maiden. I really do. I uh, Romeo's it. daughter. It's guitar-driven pop, and actually, Mutt Lang. 
uh, Shania Twain's ex husband wanted to produce. Like he uh, he was really into him. I don't know if he did produce him or if he wanted to work with him because he saw something there. And when you listen to him, you can totally hear like Mutt Lang could have really turned in. Of course, it's eighty nine, so it's a different world. Bon Jovi's could've about to cut their hair. hair, you know. Yeah, I think he also worked with uh, Bon Jovi, didn't he, Mutt Lang? Uh, he worked. I, I no, I think Def I don't Leopard. know if he did. Def Leppard is yeah, he, that's something. Yeah. The Houdini. Any of you Mutt Lang fans out there, please add us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'd love to hear more. <laughs> love to hear more about his career. <laughs> the Houdini song. Anyway, I got a swing at garden, a music video like set in a uh, dream land with like uh, dancers dressed as Freddy Krueger too. How strange is that? Because like, it was on the end of the VHS. It was tagged. It was tagged on at the end of the VHS, just like the. That's right. It was like that yellow sticker that said, you know. Includes the video to yeah you're right this is all major flashbacks <laughs> bringing you yeah. back right we're going all the way back look I don't really like the track so much but I do like Jay Ferguson's score it's uh, once again it's it's very separate from the main theme it's it's his own identity yeah. to it Jay right. Ferguson Jay Ferguson who did the theme to the Office and Thunder Island mm-hmm. one of my favorite tunes I did not realize how far back the composer of The Office <laughs> went back. Well, know, he's that. not technically Yacht Rock, I believe, but he would be part of the Marina Rock scene, according in, to the Beyond in, Yacht Rock podcast. He was in Spirit from the 70s. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Some people hear it. Speaking of Ghostbusters, too. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a yeah. callback. Um, I, I think that the... What a year. <laughs> you know, if you were talking about, like, what I was saying before, the themes of isolation and loneliness, I think this score really exacerbates those feelings. I love the sort of extended sense. It reminds me a lot of, like, the Shriekback stuff that would be in Manhunter, um, that was in Manhunter at this point. God, two years after, or three years after it. And... It feels like 85 years later. I know. God, it? it really does. Um, and so there, there's just a lot of great moments where it just kind of has, like, a... Like it, you, it almost feels like you're in like this sort of echo chamber in a way. And um, I, I listened to it on its own when I was like kind of taking notes uh, like earlier this morning, mm-hmm. and it's it's great. I mean, it's 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 got a lot of it's got its own it's a, it's like its own character, and it's very underrated. Kind of similar to the score for like Day of the Dead, where nobody really talks about that score, and it's fucking yeah. great. And it's got this sort of very eighties. Uh, signature score to it. Like, if there's anything that's tied to the 80s, like, <laughs> this score is absolutely. Um, I really that. love the incidental use of like the chiming of the bells, like almost like a more that gothicness. Of course, yes, you know, yeah. it's hunchbacks up and, there ringing that bell. <laughs> and damn uh, Europeans <laughs> with the, the gargoyles on the on the statues and everything else. But I, the only thing I have a problem with though is I think like the the score for Mark's death is brutal. Oh yeah. Oh, like the like the is going. Yeah. Oh, I like, see, I yeah. like all that. Stuff. Uh, I'm out. I'm out at that I, point. But I think his his music throughout sets moment. a really good tone. Yeah, but that's the problem. Well, especially <laughs> when it tries. Moment. Well, I mean, at one point it like tries to be like Brad Fidel and do like during the motorcycle thing. You know, I like I like the use of his music though throughout. I think it does set that does set the tone really well. It does that does match the imagery. It's almost a little Jan Hammer. Ooh, speaking of Miami Vice, yeah. Two yeah. Miami Vice references and two Ghostbusters 2 references. Who will win at the very end? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Where else are you going to get that on the internet? Nowhere except Nowhere. here on Halloweenies. That's right. On Halloweenies, the Nightmare on Elm Street podcast. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, not a lot more to say, though, about the music overall, right? Or the songs, obviously. There's I mean, nothing. compared to 4, which you've already mentioned, it's just, wow. Talk yeah. about a shift. Yeah. I would say it's just a nice time capsule of what music looked like in 1989 pre grunge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It goes back to the sub pop thing. I mean, and I was, and I honestly, I was fine with it. It was definitely a choice. They could have easily just doubled down again and had another soundtrack and just had 
songs in every single scene in the background, yeah. every single dream yeah. sequence. But they just said, no, we're going to. No, we're very fortunate to not have, you know, like cool mode D <laughs> pop up when like, you know, Greta's being torn apart. Oh, God. Well, but, oh, boy. I, I'm sure I'm guessing Stephen Hopkins just knowing about Judgment Night and putting this all together right now is like, I'm guessing he had a major hand in choosing what acts he wanted for the soundtrack. Yeah. And to go back to direction for just a hot second, I do appreciate that it feels like New Line always trusted whoever they gave a Nightmare on Elm Street movie to, like, like complete auteur, like, mm-hmm. uh, what do I want to say, freedom. Like, yeah. do whatever you want with this after we get script approval. Yeah. And well, even like Rennie Harlan, even though he was afraid. Well, he had no script, right? Yeah, yeah. but even though he was That movie doesn't deserve to be as great as I, it is. That's a wild movie, yeah. I can't believe it in, in a good way. But he was always afraid of having the movie taken away, but it never was taken away. So you're right. They really did kind of give their directors free reign to do what they wanted. Bring it in with an ear. Bring it in on budget. Three weeks prep time, by the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unreal. And this, the turnaround for this, especially, I mean, yeah, they had, they had 11 months to get it out. Yeah. But again, Hopkins was hired in February. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, the 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 new Black Christmas movie coming out. You know, it's like six months ahead of time. Here thing. we go. Yeah. We'll be saving that maybe for uh, December. That'll be a good uh, bonus episode if we've got time. You know, and you know, I'm just fortunate that we had never had any like Doctor Death in this movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm still anxiously waiting that those scenes to because yeah, then they find them in some studio vault or they something. Did. They, they did. They probably make them. Halloween Five a lot better. Release um, the zombie cut. That's what I say. Hashtag release the zombie cut. <laughs> Uh, all right, listen, let's move on to our next category. We've been teasing him a lot. This next category, we're going to talk about the man himself, Freddy Krueger, and Robert England's portrayal in a section called... All right, Mike, I'm going to let you kick this one off because I know you've got a lot to say about, about Freddy in this movie. So right, you, you go right ahead. Right, I'll give you your, I'll give, I cede the floor. <laughs> we've talked a lot about the tonal inconsistencies in this movie, and mm. I think it really comes down to Robert England. Mm. I look at Robert England as this guy that's – I've done a lot of party metaphors in this episode, but this guy is like uh, – what is it? The Styles or that one guy that's in like styles. ski school. That, but I love Styles in Teen Wolf. Yeah, like I do too, but like <laughs> – Imagine Styles like looking at ten Rose? years later, and he's still doing like he's still jumping on the van and everything. He seems like like imagine Styles in The Last Emperor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but honestly, with this, it's like Robert. Everyone's trying to, to make a serious, like, scary movie, and Robert England is just coming and going like, "It's a boy," or like, "Hey, bitch," and like, it's just so like he's he's like. So it's almost like he's like so coked out that he can't see that everyone else like that he went to a cocktail party instead of a huge rager, <laughs> and it like is insane. Like it's like you know you see these these scenes where you're like, wow, like all right, I really get what you know they're trying to go with it, with this with with Alice. Hey, everybody, and you're just like Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like, he's the guy that always brings out the guitar at the party. And you're yeah. like, wow, you're playing Tenacious D again. You yeah, know, yeah. So for me, it's. I think this is, oof, yeah, this is a really bad, it, bad, bad England. I, I, I don't know. I mean, at this point, you can't. I, he probably he probably had free reign to do whatever the hell he mm-hmm. wanted too, as long yeah. as he was coming back for these movies because they knew they couldn't just put somebody else in the mask, yeah. like Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth. But I do understand. I, I totally, I, I'm on board with what you're saying. How like they really almost could have made Freddy scary again. Yes, mm-hmm. if England had 
leaned into it. He does the same thing in New Nightmare too, which I think gets I like New Nightmare, but it gets a little too much credit for being yeah. just because it's people that's like saying the word meta. It, <laughs> it makes them think it makes them sound smart. Yeah, I, I, I think, he's also very silly in that one too. For as much as it's supposed to be a return yeah, to the yeah, roots yeah. Of, of of darker Freddy Krueger. Well, Dan, what, what do you what do you think? I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird because it's not like he doesn't do one liners in three or four, or even the first one, or the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, even, even the second one. Yeah, and I I think what works about them in in three especially is that they're they're almost low key. It's almost like he's making bad jokes, but the, it's like the Joker, like the audience knows the jokes are bad. So it's almost kind of creepy. (laughs) And I think there's just something about the performance and the way he's smirking and mugging at the camera and the makeup isn't great in this one. either. It's too, uh, it's almost too blobbish looking. It doesn't actually look like it looks a lot more rubbery and like prosthetics. So I think it's just, he cranks it up to 11 in this one. Not, not really with, with the actual jokes themselves, but just the delivery of them. Like it's the boy, it's not. It's not. It's a boy. It's it's a boy. And, and also, like, how many times? How many times does he say "bitch"? He says it like at the end of every yeah. line. I feel like they were like, remember how popular that that line was a couple years ago? Three, yeah. like, just uh, kept. Did, now they just yeah. have and keep saying it. You know. You know what? This is like such an esoteric reference, but uh, but I don't know. Maybe people watching the podcast will will know what this is. So there's this really awful. Um, show that was produced by harry harry j Knowles, like probably a decade oh, ago yeah. yeah awful danny and danny boyle on the episode too yeah yeah he somehow gets these a-list act well that was harry Knowles' whole thing right like he's despite his his toxicity he's able he's always able to land these huge stars but i don't know about it anymore but anyway um now i'll say now disgraced uh film critic harry Knowles. no but he has a show that was uh uh ran for a couple seasons called ain't it cool with harry Knowles. And there's a character on it called, uh, ironically, called the Boiler. It's this actual Boiler that he talks to. I think it's voiced by him too. It's really stupid. Oh god! The way the way the Boiler talks <laughs> reminds me of Freddy in this movie. Like it's like he he's just always going like "fuck Michael Bay." Like just everything he says is <laughs> elongated by just a few seconds too long. And you're just like, Ugh. and the, that's sort of how I feel about every uh, every one of his puns in this movie. I don't. I mean, it does, I, I still like this movie a lot. It doesn't ruin it because the dream sequences are so horrific. But for the most part, I would say his one-liners um, don't hold a candle to, to part three, especially, or part two either in this film. They're trying really hard on this one exactly. to, get, to get on the T-shirt because, yeah. like, well, three, <laughs> it's a boy three, was, three was really the birth of comedian Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. and yes. four was bitch. totally leaning into it. Like, it's where you always think, like, we were discussing, I don't know if we were discussing it on the podcast, how we were just, I mean, not to get too much into the merchandising, how... You feel like Freddy is like such this icon of the '80s, but a lot of the merchandise didn't come around until '89. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and this is '89. This is like when Freddy or '88 is when Freddy is fully formed as what you imagine, what yeah. you think of Freddy Krueger as being. It was too late, also at that point too. People were kind of just tired of Freddy. I think. Well, oh, and that's my thing. It reminds me of like you remember that. Uh, <laughs> Remember that sketch in the '90s with Chris Kattan as David Lee Roth? Busy bop, He's still trying funny, to act like he's in sketch. the you know the the California Girls or the Beautiful Girls video, <laughs> yeah. and yet everyone's moved on from that era. It's and he's funny. like, "Hey, someone, par- oh, you're gonna have a new band? Bring he me takes on. off his hat. He looks like Riff Raff from Rocky. Exactly, <laughs> and and that's what I kind of feel like Freddie is in this movie. Well, this I'll, I'll say this about Freddie: I actually agree with everything you're saying, especially Mike. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I, I don't think it totally derails the movie for a, a few reasons, though, mm. because this is probably the least amount we've seen Freddy since the first movie. I agree. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. Two, 
he really is kept in the shadows a lot. I noticed that too. Because in three and four, he is front and center, whether it's like the red light, the green light, the natural light. You, you see him definitively. Yeah. Even in this movie, he's very much kind of hiding out a lot of the time. And what was my third reason? I don't know if I had a third reason. But I think that that for me is why – oh, I know what I wanted to say. This is, probably, this is, this is my perfect okay. summation is this movie works in spite of Freddy. Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. What, no, and not that, I, I, I think he's got moments. like Again, the dreams are freaky. I will say to the credit of England – that final moment where he kind of looks at Greta and she kind of gives him like this embrace, mm-hmm. that is really yeah, eerie. Is. Yeah. But he's not saying anything. Mm-mm. He's just kind of looking at her and being evil and then yeah. shaking her. So He's almost yeah. like, I think too it is, he's almost letting Freddy enjoy it too much, you know? Yeah. It's just like, it's like every, it's like, the, oh, yeah! He's, just, he's so, he's, <laughs> he's so into it. man. It's, it's just, like, just think yeah. about like some of the scenes that he destroys. Like, you know, you see Dan laying there like in the, in the car and there's like this wreckage. Hey, Alice, want to make babies? Like, I mean, come on. Like, like just let us have I don't mind scene. that so much. I don't mind. That's a brutal That's a brutal moment for her to see so her dead boyfriend. And, like, but it's very I Freddy Krueger at the same time, yeah. too. Like, yeah. I, I and it's not Robert England. It's Danny Hassel. It is Danny Hassel, but... I have a quick question for you guys just yeah. about the general concept of the movie and how it was marketed. The whole, oh, Freddy's having a kid. But it's weird because he's really, he's really not having a kid. I mean, no. he's possessing the kid. It's the mislead. It's it's just the it's the bump. It's a little mislead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, I mean, we don't have the. I think it's just you know you have to use horror movie logic and not think about it too much because if you think about like what the actual what he's trying to do in the movie, it doesn't make that much. You're like, wait, okay, he's possessing the dreams of the kid so he can dream th- or possess Alice's dreams so she like he's killing her fr- his her friends through Alice's dreams in a yeah. weird, weird... Anyway, we have to go... I mean, well, this, well, Freddy, it, what's Freddy's sense. motivation in this, really? It makes like, sense, because <laughs> yeah, he's... Um, revenge. He's feeding <laughs> the souls... It's really, it's, it's really well, it fucked up. The logic doesn't you know? really make much sense. It's though. Nightmare on Elm Street. And we, I know. We're, we're talking like, about eating souls. <laughs> but even the writers, like even in the Never Sleep documentary, they're all like, "What? this doesn't make any fucking well, sense. Well, you know, like, Bob Shea also... I'm yeah, not going to get into okay. it, Bob Shea. He doesn't know what he's talking about. All right. But um, I'll just say that, uh, I mean, it makes sense so wait, the, the story point. Like, he okay, he's being souls. The, yeah, and he's giving them to the unborn the, child to mm-hmm. kind of become like this living, incarnate version of Freddy so he can I mean, kind of be born again. That's fine. You know? I think it's, Why do you I want to come back to the real world, though? That's where you can well, kill he, him. I think he would still exist, but he'd also have, like, he'd be carrying on the tradition of what yeah. Freddy does, basically. I guess I guess my, th- my where I get tripped up, it's not even so much the feeding the kid thing, it's the, the whole, because the whole thing in this is that only Alice is dreaming about him, but he's killing, like, he's killing her friends through her dreams, which is weird No, to but me. no, here's the thing, Mike, I mean, sorry, Dan, is... Remember, what I love, actually, the conceit I really love is that she's having all these waking visions because it's her child dreaming. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get so I, I really like that. That's very yeah. clever. That's, it's almost like the, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of the remake. I don't think it's as bad as some people think it is, but yeah, I do like the micro naps yeah. and the kind of the, the cheat to have people be awake yet still be dreaming. I, I like that aesthetic, like where she'd be wide awake, but then all of a sudden she's she's ripped into a dream. Yeah, these are all great things, but you know what's also not really great is the fact that this is kind of like the birth of um, the Playmates Toys Freddy, in which you get like variations of them. You know, you get you see that definitely oh, in yeah, Nightmare yeah. Four for sure. But this is really where they double down, where it's oh, just like, Super oh, Freddy. Super Freddy, well, and then he's that boards. You didn't hear me defending that scene. Before, no, we'll talk no. about that in a before second. Before we get into that, I wanted to did you touched on the makeup because yeah. this is my least. No, I might go to Freddy's Dead. This and Freddy's Dead are my least. It looks like the same design, doesn't it? Very similar. And the weird thing is, they lazy, but they brought David Miller back 
for this one. I remember reading that they uh, in Fangoria when I was you know, nine or ten about how they wanted to make they're trying to make him look older and more decrepit. I always loved. I never understood why they did it, but the weird extended arm. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, like he didn't come when back. He comes, right. That's like, pretty cool. Yeah. That I like that part of the design, and um, like the glove it changes, but it's never you know offensive and the hat kind of changes size but i hated the makeup design yeah. of this I it looks kevin too yeager. boring kevin yeager's is my favorite from part two oh, that's my favorite with awesome. the, the hook nose yeah. and like everything when it but looks at the bones terrifying. are coming out of like the burnt flesh and Those dark best. red eyes huge pupils look, you know? he doesn't look burned in this movie he look it looks like uh Agreed. like Clayface from yeah. batman or something uh, you know what i do like is the uh um, the baby Freddy, which I, I think uh, I think the Harry Potter movies were like ripping off the baby Voldemort for, from yeah. that. Oh my god, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. The baby Freddy bit is really cool, and it's weird just that they got Miller back to do it. But Miller's makeup in the first one is great. But I also think that they just don't. Again, you're talking about the shadows. Yeah, they kept him so much in the shadows and that that it's hard to. But but, see but when you strings. see him, it's very oh, no. noticeable. Oh, oh yeah, like, absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I, I don't. There's nothing really great about the, the the sort of sluggish and lazy makeup effects where it kind of looks like it's almost hanging off his face. Like, I that's know a problem. I, like he's not. It's almost like the beginning of this like sort of like burly Freddy. Yeah, it's like they it's like they already had it on and they just like put a mask. Unlin was him, well you know? fed at this point, literally, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was doing just he was already hanging out with Bava on the uh, a Tuscany balcony. He was sitting there on the on the balconies. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is blue cheese and venison <laughs> but that's what he did like mike yeah, so no, i don't no i mean look mike you you are like you know chicago into a t i wonder if you're at this screening were you did you ever go did you go to the music box when nightmare on elm street and swamp thing were doing a double feature no i did not I okay so probably like what seven or eight years it was a while ago yeah before i moved here it was before i moved and here. it was oh, when man. so it was, it was me me caffrey and i think flieger was there right yeah yeah you went too. and it was it was england was so insistent on like taking over the thing that they finally like the moderator had to be because ray wise was there talking about swamp thing and finally they had to be like oh well you know rob we're gonna let uh, ray talk about some stuff because he hasn't really had a chance and he's like all right well i'll be at the lobby and he like got yeah, up oh, and yeah, left he left, he left off the stage Probably hoping everybody would come out there and talk to him uh, or listen to him rather. Well, even uh, I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast in the Never Sleep Again documentary. Everyone talks about liking Robert Englund, like he's a nice guy and I think he's easy to work with. Yeah. But that he's, it goes back to the hamminess. Like the people, I think it's the people who do his makeup. They're like, oh man, Bob, like when he was in that chair, he just ran on and on, name dropping. Oh, and his name, I can his name drops aren't even impressive. He was like, oh yeah, me and uh, associate producer uh, Dean Wellman or something. <laughs> and, and then he I love like, Dean Wellman now as, as a recurring and bit. He would, he would brag about these things. That like weren't really that impressed. He'd be like, "I'm sitting you know, there at the craft I'm, service table, and uh, yeah, and uh, you know, Luke stopped. I was on, I was on the balcony, and we, we were watching Nick Rowe come by. He was celebrating his 50th anniversary of uh, Don't Look Now, and think, um, just it, hoping it, to God that he falls asleep. What I still remember, which like cracks me up to no end, is that and you remember too, my kid, like that long duster coat he was he wearing. Did. He like, looked like New Nightmare. Honestly. Oh, wow. yeah, he did. And he and he was talking about. Um, he was talking about how Freddie all over the world is like this iconic pop culture figure, which he is, and he does get recognized. And he was talking about how in different countries he gets kind of a lot of acclaim for it. And he's like, you know, when I when I went to Italy, uh, I just had a regular hotel room, but then they they uh, upgraded me to this suite of a former mafia yeah. don, and I'm sitting in his room wrapped in sheets of linen, and I'm like, oh yeah, as opposed to sheets that aren't linen, like what the yeah, fuck that like it wasn't like sheets of silk or or she- sheets of like. Uh, well, Dan, um, listen, uh, Dan, long story short 
If you're listening, Robert, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Um, he would be. A, uh, listen, it would be an amazing time. He's a he is a great interview. He's you know you don't have to worry about getting any. Oh information no, you just asked one he, question. He is a so, he is a dream interview. Like for me, like, he the was dream child, the dream interview. You know, yeah. maybe a nightmare. But listen, <laughs> we, we have to talk about we have to talk about Michael Bailey Smith, who played Super Freddy. Also oh, plays uh, the naked. Uh, he plays naked in, uh, Dan in the beginning. The yeah. Oh so, wow! Right. So you yeah, hunk it up quite a bit in this movie then i seem to like the super, super damn i seem to like the super freddy bit a lot more than you guys i think, I think you know if it was done a little differently my problem is when you marry that to the like the music oh, it's um, great it's right on i yeah that's it's, it's, it's a parody, that whole dream it's parodying batman even though batman had just come out too much that's how good <laughs> this script is it's very <laughs> superman it's very superman if anything it's prescient We'll, we'll, like we'll save the dream, we'll, the dream yes. topics for, for the other people later on. But uh, all right, God almighty, enough. Enough about Freddy and the, the Nightmare on Elm Street podcast. Let's move on to our next category. We're going to talk about the, the crazy cast we've been teasing throughout. Crazy with a K. Crazy with a K. Like killer clowns from outer space. Or a Kruger. In a section we call... KRGR. Isn't that the radio station? KRGR. <laughs> yeah. But this section we call... All right, well let's uh, let's kick it off from the from the start. Uh, Lisa Wilcox, great. Back Stone, as Alice, Stone Cold Fox, Stone. Absolutely, one of my first uh, little Justo's first crushes. Same. I'll give it, same here, because uh, she was cool too. Like she was. Oh, absolutely. She's very. I didn't strong like Mousy Allison. I don't. I've never been one for Mousy girls. Like but when she becomes a badass at the end, when she puts on that leather jacket, she has a natural. No, no, she has a very good transition in the fourth one. And there's something I noticed in this, and and it's something that Wilcox points out. I think both her and Danny Hassel, who I gave a who I gave <laughs> some notes on in yeah. the last episode, I think they're both better here. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a confidence that you yeah. get because they were first they were you know they were newcomers to a big franchise. They were probably nervous as hell. They didn't have a lot of confidence. But when you're asked to come back, I think that does give you more of a okay, I can do this, and it shows. I think this one is where you really get the sense that. Alice Johnson deserved more yeah. um, just because you see how she's able to contend with like the, the serious drama, but then also sort of the more soapy melodrama that, that, that this series kind of was built upon. I mean, cause if you look back in that first one, a lot of the drama that's in there is just so like, Oh my God, this is like on a four o'clock, five o'clock soap opera, but she's really good at doing both. And mm-hmm. I think what we really see in five and you know the dream child is that she's really really good at doing the highbrow drama and i wish yeah. that like that's what i want like i want it like older alice johnson coming back for like one more she like, still looks exactly the same and she really too. does yeah, and, like yeah. I, I just love her arc and i love how she just sells you on every fucking piece of mythology like even if it's so stupid and crazy when it's you know coming from her you just buy it and and that's not I don't always get that one with like Hank, well, Heather Langenkamp and the, the no the I think Alice is the best and, and think about the uh, what she has to go through in ninety minutes right yeah she's happy she's graduating college she's going to go on vacation with her boyfriend her boyfriend dies then she finds out she's pregnant then she finds out that Dan's parents want to take her away mm-hmm. then she finds out that Freddie's trying to possess her child then she has to f- kill Freddie like she has a lot to do well, that's a bad couple of days that's a too. tough that's a, tough that's a long but, weekend man. but here, here's something I didn't realize in this one uh, as watching it more as an adult is I really love her relationship with her father in this one that's why I want because we talked about that in the fourth movie mm-hmm. where we kind of felt 
That, yeah, I've always been glossed over. Yeah, yeah, but they really yeah. do pay it off in this they one. They do, yeah. And they did, not, they did not have to have him in no, this at all. They no. could have easily just said, well, she's dealing with her own thing, but I think it was great to have him in it and also advance that relationship. There out. is a still that makes the rounds of, it appears, Freddie holding uh, Mr. Johnson's head from part four. Like, he killed him in that movie. Like, it's There's a deleted, deleted scene, scene or something, yeah. which I've never seen. And like so, he could have been killed off in in that. Yeah, one. But yeah. I'm glad that they didn't because the parents in Nightmare on Elm Street movies, like at their worst, are abusive, mm-hmm. and at their best, just don't understand or uh, just oblivious to everything that's going on. And to see his character grow, like an adult character, grow like that mm-hmm. from the movie to movie, it's an interesting choice in the script and one that I appreciated when I was younger and even more as I got older because mm-hmm. it's like they are really trying to they're, they're respecting the audience and they're respecting the fans of these movies and and he's very even though they're cranking yeah. them out year after like, they know they have to get them out year after year and they need to make that there, money there's a there's a really nice moment in the kitchen when he brings home mm-hmm. like healthy food and then he says you know like I, I'd like to I'd love to hear like the sound of a, a little I hope, I hope it's a boy is what he says yeah and she says why he goes I'd like to hear the sound of a little boy running around the house again and it's, it's just subtle it's enough works. to reference the, the, the brother yeah and you don't because she doesn't explicitly nice. mention the brother nope. no and and I and yeah, I really love that sequence and the fact that they do harken back to the fe- like when she was making food in the fourth one and now he's actually collaborating with her in the kitchen, which is so it's like the evolution there is really great. And when you really think about her arc is like it's not so much about her and her friends, but like her whole family in general, like because she already came from a sense of like trauma and turmoil with like the, you know, the, the loss of her mother. And so at the end to have them both together with this child is such a, a nice like button for her character, yeah. like, you know, like even if we, I mean, we're not going to get another ch- chapter with Alice in it, but like, that's really nice. And it's like, if there's something to take away from any sort of character arc in this series, like that's my favorite part. Well, about I think it. about like, the connective tissue. Like we've had, we talked about how Tommy Jarvis comes back and we've talked about how Rachel and Jamie come back, but like the Rachel and Jamie in Halloween five, like there's no real nothing really happens there that reminds you exactly of Halloween four. No, like we well, get with Alice and her father here. You know, they completely throw away everything. Yeah, like from her family is Halloween never talked about again. Four and you know, it's five. very it's very dry. But this is real connective tissue that they didn't have to do. But they, it's a nice dramatic heft to it. And that's the best part. They didn't have to do it, but they respected the characters and the audience enough which well, to make oh, sure no, that we happened. can't say that about a lot of franchises who just no. dismiss sequels over and over again and try to reboot their franchise. Well, that's why it's so cohesive. I mean, we've taught, we stressed that in the very beginning after going through the fucking garbage wasteland of Halloween, you know, <laughs> the Halloween series, but like Nightmare on Elm Street is so cohesive when you really think about it. It's just the first five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even if he's as a whole, like if you really want to look at it, like, yeah, it's a little crazy kind of, but not really compared to like Friday the 13th where the timeline is insane and Halloween where you have to use literal like other dimensions to for it to even fucking make sense. So yeah. like this one, I mean, seriously, it Movies. is so fucking mad. Like, about, like, Halloween shows up in Halloween three. Insane. You know? yeah. well, it's, it's funny though, because I, I remember, uh, Wes Craven. I, I don't know. I never know if I actually believe creators when they say this. He's always, he's always like, Oh, I haven't watched all the sequels and stuff. And you're like, yeah, I don't right. know. No anyway. Yeah. You don't but look he, at your girlfriend's Instagram either. Slick. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And so he, he said he tried to watch the nightmare series, um, before new nightmare, like the whole thing is like, oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even understand it. And I'm like, man, I got to disagree. I actually think it's a pretty coherent series. Um, all the way through, you know I mean? Even well, phrase that, which I don't like it. But my favorite that- thing is when they always like argue about like, you know, it didn't make sense that Freddie did this, especially the second one. I'm like, 
there are a million things I found yeah. that were more quote unquote confusing or didn't make sense according to true scientific logic. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about dream logic, which you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah, you know? it, it did make sense that this resurrected uh, dream demon of a real person <laughs> was able to do this thing. The, who, only shows up in dreams. The, you know? the only thing I'll say that really doesn't make sense through the entire series is how a dog's yeah, fire urination. Well, Mike, I'm happy you mentioned that because, as we know from Robert England, it was um, it was it was a reference to old um, gothic tales of of a hellhound, <laughs> Wait, of, did, of a uh, hellhound bringing back it, to life the um. Was it Mac who uh, who actually came up with some pretty credible explanation? Of, of I think it? he did, I, and then we were like, and you, you know, we said, I think we said, Mac, that makes a that makes total sense, and we were like, but there's no way they were thinking that. Way. No, no, exactly. <laughs> Brady Harlan even said, like, uh, yeah, they all said in the documentary, the guy was just kind of a, you know. Oh, the James Cameron bit's the best. That's what he says. He's like, well, how's Freddy going to come back this time? He goes, oh, a dog's going to piss and bring him back to life. He's like, that was the joke, yeah. All right, well, yeah, Alice Alice is is wonderful as always. She's terrific here. Uh, And, you know, like I said, Danny Hassel as, once again, reprising his role as Dan. You know, when you're rewatching these, especially for research purposes, you're kind of like really watching certain characters. And he doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, obviously, mm-hmm. but he does feel like he's acting here. Yeah. Just when he's kind of like hanging back at the pool and talking to his friends. Because that fourth one is just very stilted and kind of just reacting to whatever, whatever he's Alice is doing. He's an archetype in that one. Yeah. He's the football jock. In this one, they make him have a need for speed for some reason. Yeah. Um. Well, he's, you know, he's, he's a hot weird how they... I feel like they introduced that just so they could do that. Yes. The, well, yeah, they do that for everything. To be every movie has, and, especially and it, the, from three on, they all have like their little bits, you know. But this, but this, this quirk is like, so strange, though. He drives a fucking pickup truck for Christ's sake. Like it's yeah, not but like, I mean, it would it would stand to reason teenage, that just because they didn't mention the boy. fact that he likes to. He's a. I mean, it also stands to reason that you know, not to insult our jock listeners <laughs> out there, but. You know, that's like the archetype is like a jock, like loves to like race around his cars and whatever and stuff I like that. I think for me, it's it's just funny. That it's they not, have, he's not really uh, in a motorcycle in real life. He's just driving his, no, his car. But my, my thing, though, too, is like, well, I mean, a couple of things. If they just showed him on a motorcycle in real life without the need for it, it's yeah. weird that they give the need for speed line to the dad or the coach or whoever, because, you know, they put the and also Freddie could just say that line. Without having any real life correspondence to it, and I would buy it. You know well, what I, mean? like, I, I forgot the line that the dad says. I remember the Freddie line, but I totally forgot like the, they, the father they, line. They suddenly introduced this thing like Dan's always on the run. I'm like, I would have just, I would have bought that dream sequence no matter what. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> but, but Dan, to be fair though, I just realized he also is using a memory of Dan's to say that line. He is. He's but, using his father's words against him at the, uh, you know, that makes sense, I guess. So let me, yeah. let me, let me step back for a second. Cause I have, I have, if there one, you know, other than Freddie, if there's a problem I have with some of them is like some of the wiring that they give to this, uh, character, you know, pun intended. Uh, mm. but I, I think like you obviously had Dan who had no sort of background in the fourth one. Yeah. So they kind of had to like put him with something. I imagined him as we see, we don't ever really see him play sports in the fourth one, right? Like, is he a basketball player or is he a football, football. player? He's football, right? He's being so he's conceivably though. the quarterback, right? Yeah, he seemed like the all-American okay, quarterback. So there's no need for speed there. He's not a running back. Like, he's are you going to crack and hit and throw? Like, there's a speed there. Like, where is his need for speed if he's a quarterback? Well, you still have to be very mobile. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It just seems like it seems like if you're really thinking about it, I think like we have this, reached the point in the podcast about, where we are really diving too much know into this. Sports. Yeah, I, uh, we're, we're going. He way. knows a lot about sports, <laughs> but I think we're really we are. We we're are. getting. I mean, the whole bit with Freddie is he always capitalized on stupid things that people say or, or love. I mean, I, I don't know. This is we're really picking this. Okay, okay. we're really picking this because the dream sequence itself is awesome. It's cool. It's horror. It's gross as hell. It's gross as hell. I just feel 
The special it, effects are amazing. It's I think so they're amazing cool. in that sequence. It is so and the makeup cool. is amazing is. in that sequence. When you were talking about, uh, they were looking at uh, Splatter Pump. Yeah, Splatter right. Pump. Like, yeah, that's this, Splatter Pump. This is, this yeah. is it. Like, when he gets on that motorcycle, like, that... Well, have you seen the original deleted scene Well, you know, here's the thing. I watched sure the deleted have, scene. Yeah. It's... There's a little more, but it's not as much more as I remember. Yeah, it is pretty, it's pretty visceral gross. with seeing. Like, the problem is, is that it's you do still see a lot of this, <laughs> but you you see it in flashes. So like in the actual deleted scene where it's like you know uncensored, you see like the whole fucking head split yeah, open, it's and gross. Like, it's really gross. Like it reminds me of Debbie's death in the fourth one. Mm. And I will say, I think I think to the uncensored, both with Dan and Greta's death, I I, I like them in the regular movie, but I do think they are so much more effective with those few added shots because yeah. you kind of. You lose track a little bit of what's happening, I think, in both yeah. of them. But, I mean, I'll see it from the Nightmare section, but I do, I do those uncensored deaths are just truly horrifying. I remember when I was a little kid, I had these um, spawn action figures that you could form together to make this big robot. And I'm pretty oh, sure I remember they, those, yeah. yeah. Remember those? yeah. And, I, and I, they actually looked a lot like Dan in his post- motorcycle fusion form so I, I wonder if they like ripped it off or something because it looks it looks really cool man i love that like so yeah it looks like george miller did nightmare on elm street for a, you know a few seconds there oh yeah, with the, yeah, the, yeah. I, sure. I think it's god the, the more fast the motorcycles going and I, I think that dream sequence is is pretty gross i do terrifying, too. I, yeah. I, I think that my, my i guess my issue is it is just that it it seems to come out of like if you're already setting the, the precedent that all these dreams are intrinsically tied to like whatever their fears or their love or passion is, it just the Dan one seems so shoehorned in. It, it kind of reminds me of. Um, well, I think the thing is, he's dream. He falls asleep at the wheel. Yeah. So it stands to reason that he'd be driving and not think yeah. he's dreaming. Yeah. And then he's still trying to get somewhere. So then he takes the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it and makes it goes sense. back. To it's the like loop. he would just be like, "I'm gonna go play football for no reason." You know what yeah. I mean? And it goes back to like the the time loop thing for four. Yeah, that's a good point. Mike. I didn't think about that. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's driving, fall asleep at the wheel. Now here we go. You know, they can't really do like. Now he's on the football field. The phrase like first down," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture first and it now. kill, killing, killing ten or something uh, like that. God. Oh, thank God! They, I bet you that was probably in the draft though, where he's on the football field. Or well, you know, it'd be a really creepy one is if they had it where he is a coach like that, and he just makes him keep running and running, and his legs just keep Ooh. like like. Going, becoming nubs almost because he just keeps going and going and going. My legs are hurting me after thinking of that. Yeah. Either way, so, uh, this does set the it, it does set the bar for like the body horror that's going to come here. It does because I like to talk about Erica Anderson as Greta, who I knew from an early '90s movie called Quake with Steve Railsback. Mm. It's about this earthquake that takes place in San Francisco, and she's trapped in her apartment building with this guy, Steve Railsback, who, believe it or not. Turns out to be crazy. Wow, um, not that good. No, but I remember <laughs> watching and thinking, "Oh, that's the that's what's her name from Nightmare on Street Five. Her death is because I, I, I didn't see the uncut stuff for, until years later. I still think her death is just horrifying. I agree. Yeah, and the makeup effects are also like just surreal, like the puffy cheeks and it's 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 quite gross. And and I, I like this character. And this will kick something off. I also want to talk about is. I think that she is a better version of Debbie from Dream Master. Mm-hmm. And I think that Yvonne is a better version of Sheila yep. from Dream Master as well. Because I feel like all the characters here just have more, they're more active. 
than the other characters they are. are. Oh, they totally are. There's, there's just more of like a actual through line for just about everybody in this. I think that's the better longer like, they last. That's know? the benefit of actually having most uh, of the script before you shoot, too, I think. Yeah. Versus well, Dream Master, which did not. Which did not. That's true. And they were just like, well, we got to kill her off in the classroom at the 45 minute mark. But I just feel like everybody, I just, I wrote down active as a note. Like just everybody has more of an agency and more, and it's more active. But Erica Anderson, I think she's also pretty good in this and her dynamic with her mother. There's a great transition from reality to dream when they've got that great close-up of her mother kind of as the evil, you know, being. That's, something you know. from the 80s. Yuppies terrified me. Yeah. yeah. And, and I believe I can trace it back to the last segment of the uh, We Didn't Start the Fire music video <laughs> where it's the yuppies in like, you know, an ultra modern 80s yeah. apartment. And it just is ultra creepy. Same thing with uh, Karen, American Allen, Karen Allen in uh, Scrooge. Oh, yeah. In, the, in the, the dream sequence. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think that has a lot to do with it for me. And that movie. there's yeah. something about yuppies that just kind of scared me. And that relationship between Greta and her mother is like, I think, like, what do I want to say? Like, primo, like, example yeah. of. It's in its, in its. You know, I want to also make this clear. When I'm giving a lot of these compliments out, I'm saying in the realm of a horror slasher film. I'm not saying like compared to the last detail with Jack Nicholson. All right, I'm just saying like in terms of like what you have to get done quickly, and and what you have to get to build in such a short period of time before somebody's inevitable demise. That's what I'm complimenting, and the tenets of a slasher movie. Anyway, well, I think you're 100 percent right. I know yeah. because a lot of movies can't do that yes. or don't even attempt. Yeah. To do that. I think cardboard. all the Elm Street movies always did try to do that. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about this death, at least compared to a lot of the other ones that are, you know, come from some, you know, sort of mention or, you know, line. This is a really personal nightmare. Yeah. You know, this is this is someone who's suffering from body dysmorphia. This is someone who's, you know, anorexic. Uh, who's been, you know, belabored to be this model from her mother. And so this is, this, there's a type of cruelty to this that goes above and beyond a lot of the other deaths that we've seen yeah. to this type of degree of body horror. And so for me, it's like always, I mean, I'm, this is, this will be my 15th year of being bulimic. So real fun times, but this one always struck me Maybe because, yeah, great. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, we should, we should go party. Um, <laughs> happy Father's but, Day. Uh, happy Father's Day. Um, but I, uh, for me, it's, 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 it really is always uh, hit home because of just the way that the parents don't even react even post-death. Where it's just like there's this sort of like, you know, dismissiveness to it, and but they can't it, believe it in their minds. Something yeah. that awful would actually happen. Exactly, and 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 even with the way that Freddie sort of treats her as giving her what she wants, mm-hmm. you know, because she's probably starving. Also, and you're just stuffing her and stuffing her and, and they're stuffing using her. she loves dolls. They're using that against her as well. Yeah. You know? And so this yeah. is just a really cruel personal death that almost uh, overtakes the character itself. Like you can't mention Greta in the context of Nightmare without thinking of just that bulbous face and just how much they terrorize this beautiful person. There's and a just, song that was actually written about the character in which the actress is on the cover of. Have you seen this? You guys posted really? it, and I, I don't know how I've missed this for yeah. how long. I haven't gotten to listen to it so yet. So it's like you though. said, though, to point it back, I mean, yeah, the character is so tied together with the, yeah. with, with the, the death. But she, and go ahead, I, You wrote that article about Ghostbusters lines mm-hmm. that we... Uh, you don't even realize you use them in your everyday. Yeah. I, whenever somebody wants like get a group picture or something, I always go, I go, gotta go. 
I got to go grip my teeth for the paparazzi. And it's yeah. like, I just entertaining myself with it and don't even for sometimes forget that it's from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, somebody, I posted a picture. I was like, oh, doing research. And I posted the group photo at the graduation. And somebody said that exact thing about the <laughs> so go grip yes. your teeth. Yeah. yeah. So, which is great. Um, so that's our Greta. Now, here's somebody who has a, a very big role and uh, Kelly Joe Mentor, who had a really nice run. Throughout the whole oh. 80s into the 90s. She I always just popped knew, up in everything. Never yeah. knew her name, but always I think I always knew her as the girl from summer school. Yep. And that was at 86, I think, with Mark Harmon. Yeah. She's also she in gives The Lost cr- Boys briefly. Yeah. I don't remember her really in Lost um, Boys. Maria? She, yeah, Maria in Lost mm-hmm. Boys. Um, she would actually be in another Wes Craven movie, The oh, People yeah. Under the Stairs. Yeah, I hate She's, that movie. I, I, I like that movie, actually. I like, it's, 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 that's, I'm not a big fan. It's a that's mess. a movie you'll just, I don't know, it just seems like you just don't see anything like it's that. It's not maybe the people... movie that the posters advertised me no, when no, I was no, nine no, no. years old. Um, but yeah. she's really good here. I mean, amazing TV run, too, though. Oh, that's what I'm saying. She, like, she popped up Jesus in everything. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. But she's a true really, working actress. Like, yeah. she just probably took every role she could. She's, yeah. I think she's very good here. I actually, um, she's the unsung uh, heroine. She really is. Mm-hmm. She's the Craig Wasson of this film. When you she think really about is. Because yeah. she's got the duty of finding Amanda Kruger's remains, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you think, every time I would watch it growing up, I would always think that she died in the pool sequence. But you forget, oh, yeah. no, she actually <laughs> does survive and yeah. survives the whole freaking movie. Yeah. Um, she's really good here. Not, I, like I said, she's got agency. She's active. She's got things to do in this one. Um, Good thing for her, she didn't come back from Freddy's Dead because she probably would have been killed in that in the one. first yeah. ten minutes. Right? <laughs> Here's something I point I was I was thinking about though. Is this the first time at this point in 1989 where two female leads survived in in the franchise movies? Mm-hmm. 89. Well, other than well, I guess Rachel and and that's yeah, right. That Rachel would have preceded it. So this would have been the second time, mm-hmm. right? Because all the Friday movies, would, there would be either. Just a guy survives, or a guy and a girl, or a girl, but there would never be two women. Yeah, I see or what you're saying. Like that. I think you might it's, be right. It's funny because rewatching this, I had actually forgotten that she did survive. That's what I'm and saying. I, I, I'd forgotten about that pool nightmare too, with the diving board transforming into claws. And so I was actually waiting for her to die, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised when she died. I was like, oh yeah, she she survives, which I thought was. Pretty I think cool. the, the scenes where she's telling. Alice that Dan's dead. I mean, it's like a performance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that stands out in, in the field. Like you said, Mike Vanderbilt, like you said earlier about how, you know, Friday 13th, we're not really here for the characters. They're literally just disposable items yeah, for yeah. Jason. But these are real people you care about. And you don't want to see die horrific deaths, you know? No, you, you no, no I mean, like Lisa Wilcox, she just, she sells the drama on a real level. Lifestyle mm-hmm. sells the drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, look, Jesus Christ! I, it was like a boulder a, rolling down the hill. Like you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. On uh, on Setlist FM the other day, I saw they did a video of Gavin Rossdale and live watching, or uh, Gavin Rossdale and Ned Kowalczyk watching Bushes and Lives old videos and kind of making fun of them. And it was actually it was pretty good. I was uh, that's funny. Was very, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's, hey, this isn't uh, this isn't Kowalczykies. This is Halloween. <laughs> you guys, have you guys talked about Third Eye Blind and Bush on this podcast? Yeah. Yeah, Did I just oh, hear yeah. that? We're hey, doing we're, it. We're making our way through the 90s we in leave, reverse order. We leave no stone it. untouched. All 16 of them. Well, speaking of a stone that we unfortunately oh, oh, oh. have to touch is uh, terrible. Joe Seeley as Mark. I, Joe I pref- Seeley has... Uh, he's got real no credits, but I will say there's something he can brag about. He was in a couple episodes of SCTV when he was a kid. Oh, oh. 
How about that? Always Canadian. Hey, one of them. One of them. God. He was my so, he was my favorite character uh, when I was nine years old. Because really, I fan- that's well, a good I fancied, point. My, I fancied myself an artist. I, I always liked drawing. I was never very good at it, but I, I, I liked agree. drawing. But I liked his loft that he lived in. I loved the, the big, loft. The Everything. big white desk with all the, the, the how, does he, how does he afford that? Like whose loft is that? I was. Oh, he lived in his dad's factory. Hey man, he works at the factory, man. He oh, was, that's right. He's yeah, doing good. Yeah, of course. I will say again. I feel like everything was reversed. I didn't like this movie as a kid, but I love Mark. But now I think that's like a wink, a weak link. I agree. Is is yeah, the, the best the, hair, it, terrific it, hair. The it, first off, his he's a caricature. I love that vest. I always wanted that fucking vest. But he's a total caricature because of that vest. Though. I mean, like you look at him now, and like he's the only one in this whole movie that like seems as if he walked out of like the BK Kids Club or something like that. Like, but I'm sure it's pretty <laughs> awesome. Oh, jeez, <laughs> wow, <laughs> so accurate. I mean, I, but I think it's the Monster Squad. I think it's authentic at a time. I think you're looking back on it too much as an adult who lives here now. Yeah. Like, I think. I, I think that just I'm not even talking about the look. I just think that the the performance isn't very good. First off, he would never get Greta. Never. Well, no, he, and I don't think that was ever the idea. I think he pined after her. I don't think there was ever like. An oh no, then she actually genuinely. I know. No, no, I think she they were liked friends. him, but they. I mean, he was. No, that, I think league. they were from one of the. Is that the nice guy? Now is that what we talked yeah. about? Like, I, I never got the vibe that they were going to be together. No, it just seemed like he was the she was the woman that he wanted to be with. Yeah, and, and, and that, that was, was never going to happen. Hmm. Even though yeah. maybe maybe one day, you know, when thing, the modeling yeah. career didn't work out, I guess this isn't like know. a what was that? She's out of my league movie with um, <laughs> yeah, Jay Baruchel yeah, and uh, yeah. what's her name? Uh, I can't remember her name now. But I think the, I think the problem, Mark, is that it's kind of like Mike said. It's I mean, and look, as someone who used to skateboard and also likes comic books and drawing and all that stuff, it's not that those things can't exist. But when you're in this '90s movie, it's like okay, he's he likes he likes comic books. He works at a comic book factory. He draws comic books. He loves skateboarding. He loves quippy one-liners. He's always drawing. He's got the hair. He's got the vest. It's just so much. It's just they're pulling from every mm-hmm. single like late 80s, early 90s cliche that they could. I mean, I, and I don't know if it's, it's – it's one of those things where it's hard for me to tell if it's the performance or the writing or a combination of both that makes him a little bit insufferable. He, he does yeah. this weird run. In the house where he doesn't swing his arms. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that we, when we were kids, we just thought it was the funniest. I think we rewound it several it, times. It's still to funny watch thirty years that. later, and I think I still do that every once in a while. Just again, entertaining my myself. Uh, and yeah. I did like the relationship with his dad. Well, his dad, by the way. Did he not like Buddy Garrity from Friday Night Lights? He did. <laughs> I wrote that down yeah, immediately. Yeah, you're right. You're Parents right. and brats. Uh, hey, Mark, come over here. I don't know. It's pretty I mean, funny. I, I, I did, to your guys' point, too, about when when we were kids, that being cool. And I didn't see this movie until a little bit later in life. But I do remember when we talked about the Nightmare movies, like, on the playground, which I actually feel like those that was the horror franchise that got talked about the most, just because the Without dream sequences were so elaborate. So much I, happened, yeah. I feel like I did hear about that. Like, oh, my God, in the, in the fifth one, there's this kid who gets killed. Like, he gets turned into a comic book, and he gets killed. I remember thinking, like, as a little kid, like, oh, man, that sounds awesome, you know? And so I, th- I think there was some sort of generational appeal to to mark's character yeah yeah, it's also cruel too i mean you know you're using what you he loves against him well let's talk about the dream you know because like the dream sequence itself with the the exception of you know um super shredder is (laughs) the like oh wait was free was this pre or post Super Shredder? Pre, that's pre. mostly what it feels like. It does. Actually. It does. It's, it definitely well, was, feels like yeah. that. It's like a year before, right? It was like two years. Yeah. Because I think it was 90, well, 90 was, was the first the one. The original. So yeah. and then 91. 92. No, 92 was. Yeah. yeah. 
And so for this, it's just I love the set design, how they actually painted it black and white, yeah. which is really cool. I really do like the animation of him becoming this like um, thing. That but, looks terrific. Well, the original vision was supposed to be something similar, like Velvet Buzzsaw, where you're going to have like paintings come to life and it was going to be yeah. this really lavish thing. And they kind of changed it over to like comic books and everything. It's still effective. It's just everything that comes right before it. That's Agreed. like so lame. And it kind of reminds me of the, <sighs> the wizard sequence that's in Nightmare 3 that is oh, kind you of are all bonkers. You are all well, wrong. Yeah, let's hear Let's yeah. hear you. I want to hear the in defense. Uh, <laughs> I, I see the floor to you, counselor. Just, in defense of Super Freddy. It's just cool. Like, they turn, like, it's again <sighs> playing on what we've talked about how Freddy always, from part three on, uses what you love or what you're into yeah, to, yeah. to terrorize you to murder you. And, like, yeah, at this point, we're three, four, five, three, five movies in, three, for, uh, three from part three. Yeah. He's a superhero now. Cool. I just think, <laughs> you know, you got my boy Michael Bailey Smith or whatever in the role, and it's just... And he's I, I'm cracking not, wise, doing... He's it's not one even thing doing the Robert Englund thing. It's I don't even thing, think it's his voice. It's one thing for him to have, like, you know, needle hands to kill, what, Taron in, in Elm Street 3? Like, that's creepy, you know? Yeah. But it's just... The music... Like I said, the music... I think I wrote down, like, the music ruins an otherwise awful scene. <laughs> so, like, it's it's <laughs> I mean, already I, bad. I, I, I mean, I do agree with Mike that, like, it's it's not I do think that the scene is imaginative and I like that the deaths in this movie it's not just one thing it's like three things I think that's really cool how elongated it gets I mean for me it really is just the super freddy I mean and the skateboarding but the um, skateboarding it, with the yeah. four claws on the back of it too you know What it also too, oh, oh I even noticed that yeah. Oh yeah I love how everything's always branded freddy yes. from the radio I'm station you. I'm telling you it's the playmates I, toys thing it's yeah. like this is exactly what they did with all the ninja turtles when they're making <laughs> figures and I still yeah. find stuff in the movies that I've missed before mm-hmm. like I can't think of anything they're like oh wow they did that too like the tarantulas I guess are in in yeah. Part oh, yeah, five you're right. red, yeah. red and and, yeah. and green yeah, I, that's I, true. I think too, it is like the uh, once again, it's it's like a hat on a hat, right? It's like okay, yeah. we've got we've got Super Freddy, and we've also got his one liners, and he's also skateboarding. Just after, like, if it was one of the things, maybe I could, I could, I'd be fine. <laughs> but, but, but I do like I do like the paper and the color bleeding out. I think those. I think that well. looks awesome. Still, yeah, yeah. that's and a great effect. Something else, out. another great moment, uh, a dream that he has earlier that looks great too is when. Alice is walking into his loft and sees him yeah. in the animated sketch. Oh, you're going to take on me uh, uh, part? I, I wrote down aha. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. And then, um, but then she kind of just quickly like draws like a lame sketch for herself and is able to enter the dream. But like, once again, the special effects still look really does, good of yeah. him getting sucked into the comic yeah. of him. Like you said, Mike turning into that comic book mm-hmm. still, and bleeding out, like it still looks really and it's good. Still, Thirty it's still years later, too, because he's like, Whoa! <laughs> "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. Well, just, that's uh, our mark. You're you're 100 right on the effects, and that's why it's like I contend. Like I would, I hope I get to see another Nightmare on Elm Street movie with Robert Englund within the next five years. Because like, look at, what, look at those great practical effects. Like I think this is one franchise where using CGI in the dream world it's for, totally it, forgivable. You can do it. Like yeah. it would. Elevated, mm-hmm. I think, I more agree. than anything, because you but, could do whatever you want. I still think you need to use the the, the the thing I love about this and going over the, each one of these movies is just how they were challenged by not being able to lean sure, on the computer. Absolutely. Like, and I like, think, like, how could we do this practically, but also with whatever technologies new yeah, at the time? Exactly. So I agree. Like, if they could, but those use days that, are long gone. I know. Yeah. And then, and as we I kept saw thinking about remake, that too, like that. We'll talk about the set design, especially in the finale, which is awesome. But that would all be yeah. CGI now, you know? Oh, yeah. Just easily. This is the CGI bashing segment of Halloweenies, yeah. which we will always get to somehow. Yeah. 
I'll hey, contend I'll, that CGI could work very well in an Elm Street movie. I, I think that's like the exception to the rule. It does not work in the remake. I don't need blood, like CGI blood in a Friday the 13th movie. You know? No. Okay, let's talk about one of my good friends, Whit Hertford, who plays Jacob. <laughs> he, that doesn't um, look very scary. He's uh, best known. Yeah, of course, Mike just teased yeah. it. He's the little kid in Jurassic Park who taunts Sam Neill. Oh, that's right. He loves those. I uh, forgot he, about that. Yeah. He's got to have a. He, every movie he does has to have a giant claw in it. I think that's the. It's it's funny when uh, when he came on. Uh, my girlfriend uh, Sammy, she was just like, I hate that kid. No, and yeah, he because, is a little shit. Because he was shit. also supposed to. He was a little brat in Full House back in the day. That's what she too, referenced. Because yeah. she used to do. I guess he would do this like pucker lip. Oh, thing. he was the duck, duck kid, on, yeah. the duck face kid on Full House. Um, yeah. a whole, very wholesome show with a very wholesome creator. Yes, yes, Jeff very, Franklin. Yeah. Sorry, I had to get that. In there. Uh, I, I think he's, he's, I just think an he's, orgy of talent with that show. I think he's. Uh, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Listen, let's get back. We gotta get back on track. <laughs> hey, um, also a lot of uh, once again pregnancy themed uh, Jeff Franklin because he. he uh, Anyway, you know, right, 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 anyway, we don't have to go yeah. to that. Oh, God. All right, listen. He is, um, I think he's, he's, he makes the appropriate creepy case, like the kind of like the, the dark, like the big eyes with like the sunken, you know, cheeks in. I, I think he's pretty good in the movie. What, yeah. what, what, here's a question. If you knew that was going to be your kid. Yeah. Oof. That's a tough call. You know? Tough call. <laughs> it's pro-choice or pro-life. No, but um, uh, I had something else about this kid. I think the... Uh, yeah, his name was Walter Duckface Berman on Full House. <laughs> I remember that so distinctly. But it's a touching episode because Stephanie joins in on making fun of him, and then she feels bad, so she like she uh, she she becomes friends with him. But then he lies and says that they're they're going out. Yes, not- I remember all this vividly. Right. Unfortunately, Jesus Christ, I, I'm not I'm not joking. Like he might have the best career out of everyone in this movie. He's still popping up in sitcoms, and including stuff. like I mean, well, maybe not so much. Uh, um, Robert England, but like, yeah, I mean, he was in everything. He's, big, uh, like, he's actually a big, he's, he's had a pretty sustainable film and TV career, but he's also, um, had a pretty respectable theater career in, in London. He was in, and he was in UCB for yeah. a while also. He was in UCB Although, for five years. All right, listen, there's something I've got to mention though. Do you recognize, I, I knew this on my own, no research, by the way, who the doctor is in this movie. He looks very familiar. Yeah. Is, yeah, is he yeah, in Twin Total Recall? No. Oh, okay. Is he on Twin Peaks? No. Dan? Well, he, he might be in these things, but I'd recognize Wait, him. I thought he, lo- he just looked like an actor who would be on Twin Peaks. For I, him, but. <laughs> right? He's not. Don't look it up, Mike. He's Ray Wise. Not, he's not. Ray Wise Light, it feels Scolding like. Put down the laptop. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Oh, what? my God, he is. <laughs> he's the, the host in The Wizard at the uh, end of the, the big video game contest oh, at the that, end. That's where he's from. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. What? That's him. Oh man! There's your fun fact of the day from me. <laughs> Power glove. Been waiting for years to talk funny. about that. It's just funny to me that um. Wait, are we talking about the doctor as a character? <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. No, no, that no, was. I just. No, uh, actually, you know what? I have no desire to talk about that character. There's nothing yeah, to talk about. He's <laughs> there to say. Think he's like. Or run it his are mouth you here because you think this is your baby's dreaming? Or you know, like uh, anyway, that's I mean, not. He's not poor for enough. that that actor though, because that that wizard was that year also. Huge year. He peaked thirty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listen. We, he, signs, we talked, he signs power gloves at convention. We've talked a lot about the cast. <laughs> we talked about the crew. Let's continue to talk about the uh, behind the scenes section in a section we call Great Graphics. Ah! What do you know? I beat my score. <laughs> 
All right, so yeah, once again, I think the weakest link makeup-wise, like you said, Mike Mike V, for the people who can't see who I'm pointing <laughs> at, uh, Freddie, the makeup for him is pretty bad. But I think the makeup in this is still pretty uh, pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, the Dan death, Greta's death, and something I always forgot for some reason is when Freddie is coming out of Alice at the yes. end. That oh, looks yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a cool bit. Well, it kind of reminds me of like the thing monster when it's like all burnt yes. and everything. Yeah. Where it's like all kind of mangled. That's what I thought together. too. Yeah. The evolution of it just barely out and then more and more and more is really well done. Dan. There's this really specific photo of uh, Rob Botton with um, he's holding like one of the thing prosthetics in his hands. And it, it's it's almost like a piece of the face that you see the, the joined faces at the end of the thing. And he's like mm-hmm. holding his hands. It looks almost exactly like that. Also, too, um, Freddie when baby Freddy grows into uh, full grown Freddy and he, his proportions are still a little bit off. I thought that was really creepy mm-hmm. as well. Like the feet and the, the arm. I don't yeah. know, man, this might special effects wise, this like for me is maybe only rivaled by three. I, th- I think they're just, I, I, this might be like my fa- my favorite effects like in the whole series. I think maybe four is probably, I, was, best. I, I lean yeah. into four. Yeah. yeah. But this, four but this is, is yeah. uh, it, they really do a wonderful job here. And in addition to just the, the makeup effects, I think mm-hmm. just the, Oh, also, I, I love that effect. Oh, how can I forget this? That effect of the ultrasound, the baby in the ultrasound. Yes. Uh, yeah, that looks pretty and, wild. And Freddy in there, that looks really good. I yeah. think uh, the Nightmare on the Street movies are similar to the Star Wars movies in the sense that even when the effects maybe don't sell you 100%, they were always pushing the envelope for the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus a lot of other horror movies of that era. Like they yeah. were always imaginative mm-hmm. and at least swinging for the fences. Yeah. And I agree. It, and they pull it off. I'd say 90% of the time. I can't think yeah. of one effect in this movie or any other ones where I kind of look back and go, that's, I think there's some green screen issues in the third movie. Yeah. You can oh, see easily. through a couple of times, especially with HD. But, oh, like the, uh, with you like know. the puppeteering and yeah. stuff like that. Like but the, the, yeah. the thing is, you can get away with that by just saying, oh, well, it's a dream. So, you know, it's not necessarily going to be. And you <laughs> that can. Is true. And, yeah. and that's, you could certainly do that here, especially towards like the final act when there's like the matte painting and HD or DVD. Yeah. It doesn't look great, but it also plays into the dreamy quality exactly. of it. The gothicness, mm-hmm. the gothic horror of it all. Uh, yeah. Back to Rothman and I did an Alien podcast. That's a movie that in HD, some of the strings show on the miniatures. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and even the, as great as they stuff, look, yeah. like it's kind of like, oh, no, that... You just have yeah. to, for all these movies, like you said, you just have to kind of put yourself back into that moment yes. that they came out. Otherwise, it's going to be like, it'll be impossible. I mean, I, it, I also like, too, that we get some unabashed stop motion effects when they open the refrigerator. I mean, like, no, yeah, that's, it, that's it, a cool it little match, bit. But it looks cool. It's almost like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Or it's something. so really disgusting, like too, the sound yeah. effect design. The it's mold. like, oh, God. I do. Lo- oh, that sequence alone when she's the if I had and food Freddy, in my fridge. When, when Freddy jumps like. out and grabs her and closes the door, that's also a nice little yeah. effect. I don't, again, I, I, I I'm a sucker for practical effects. I will forgive you if it's tangible. Like if I could possibly reach out and touch it, I will be more. It always looks more real. I mean, think think about the incredibly speedy production on this and the fact that they still did something like that MC Escher sequence at the end, which must have been such a nightmare, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. of just putting that together. Like, from a production standpoint, what I mean, I, just like, where do you, all right, so what you I read, to what, perform here and then we have to perform there. And I mean, they would be shooting on one set, building a set on the other one, mm-hmm. going over to tilt there, strike the other set and build it again. They yeah. were just bam, 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 always working the efficiency. And, and I think they point this on the documentary is just, you know, the amount of heart and soul that goes into these movies is at infinitum compared to 
your other basic movies that come out today. Yeah. I, I, I'm always Mr. Old Man yells at, you know, <laughs> yells at the cloud, but it's just the truth. They, 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 they had to do, they had to deal with what they were given and mm-hmm. it's, it, it shows, you know, uh, but yeah, that, what, what, that, what fina- is that set piece at the end is probably my favorite finale set piece of the whole, maybe the whole movie franchise. Yeah. I mean, I, I compared to the other ones. And I still it, go with four. Force ending set piece <laughs> is so elaborate four. and so I like the climactic. church. Yeah, and I and I do like that they actually bring the church back. The church back yeah. again, like cool. respecting the audience yeah. and saying you remember that thing. Same like church. this is this is where he was. This is where Which, we last. Um, they him. also brought the same junkyard set back in the fourth one from the third yeah. one. So they really do try to pay attention well, to that. Did did, you, did anyone get like Hellraiser two vibes with this one? With the ending, with, oh, I just with the bells that, alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with the maze yeah. and everything. And then yeah, the, the way sense. that, like, when it kind of pans back with the doors shutting and then breaking, shutting and breaking. Oh, how great! Like, that I love part that is so cool. Effect, I'm not though. sure yeah. exactly what it means. I think it just means <laughs> he might. He's still trying to get out. Yeah, but it's kind of open ended in a way. That that really it kind of reminds me of Alien Three with her with the alien bursting out too. Yeah, but yeah, that effect of the cameras and the doors keep shutting and closing also reminds me of Evil Dead in a little bit. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what we're trying to say here is, I think what we're all trying to say here is that just from a technical level, from a, a, a directing standpoint, it's very strong. Mm-hmm. And again, six months from the time it was hired to the time it came out. Yep. Like, that's pretty impressive. Well, again, it goes back to what I said about how, I mean, even in if this is your least favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie, yeah. it's still more imaginative than Halloween 2, even, which is like a sequel from the Halloween yeah. series. That seems yeah. to which is in a hospital. That gets, that's that the only a, difference. That you know? gets a pass. Yeah. Or even like, uh, you know, Friday the 13th Part 4, which I love, the yeah. final chapter. Like, there's nothing. Imagination has nothing to do with it. Yeah. yeah. You know? But in this case, there's obviously stronger imagination. I agree. Yeah. Which Should I think we, leans being into being better. Like somebody on when I posted that on Twitter about comparing the Halloween movies and the uh, the Friday or the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, somebody said, "Well, imagine it doesn't always mean better." I'm like, a lot of the times it does. Like I, I'm more happy to see somebody swing for defenses than just rest on their laurels. No, it's oh, a, totally, I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I agree with that. And 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 it's like with each chapter. No matter what the quality was, whatever they were doing creatively behind the scenes, it was almost as if like all the the creators and the thinkers were turning to their competitors and saying, "Welcome to prime time, bitch." Okay, so for this section, we're going to talk about... That was really good, Mike. That was a little Justo-esque, I might say. Uh, we're going to talk about what we think is the best nightmare. Now, there's a lot of nightmares in this movie because Jacob is a is a sleepy little baby. And as we learn, babies sleep 70% of the time. They're in the mommy's belly. Millennials. So the angle I like to take is I like to choose a nightmare that actually doesn't have a death. Hmm. So, because I think we all might have like pretty similar agreements on the actual best nightmare slash death. Like, absolutely, yeah. it's a uh, Super Freddy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't want to spoil it, Mike, but yes, you're right. It's, it's Super Freddy. I was being facetious. Uh, I thought you were going to oh, no, say no, 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 no. no. no, no. I, I want to go for the the in utero with the the ultrasound, but then the way that it cuts from her face back to the real ultrasound, back to her face, and then that kind of black and white haze over her face, and then now we're in the the actual true blue, you know, the stomach. Yeah. And you see that baby and you kind of linger on the baby and there's just the quick flashes back and forth. That might be the most disturbing or, or, or that might be the scariest part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Cause we also know like eventually you're going to see Freddie 
right behind there. And I think that's all arguably the most invasive of the nightmares too. Yeah. Is you know him being in there attacking her her unborn child. So I think that's a really strong a strong sequence for me. Anyway, that's that's my uh my, my favorite nightmare. I'm serious. I am going with Super Freddy. Let's that's go. My, Let's go. Uh, that's my favorite one in a bunch. Um, right. Like you said, the set design. They painted everything black and white. Looks great. The imaginativeness. I like the bit in the score because they, they're they kind of making fun of superhero movies a little bit. Oh, they well definitely comic are. books. And they have that like sweeping, like, not it's it's obviously inspired by like John Williams or something like yeah. that. And there, yeah. there's it just like with the wizard. And I almost feel like they almost give it the short shrift, but it's just that kind of movie. I would have liked to seen the Phantom Prowler, maybe give Freddie a little bit more of a run for his money. I would agree. And yeah, it that was also little... has one of my favorite moments in the series. I think when Freddie's standing up there with Greta, you know, yeah. like a, like a, you know, like an, like an old school dastardly villain, like, you know, I've got your girl. What are you going to do about it? Slick. And, I do like I, we and she shatters that, yeah. like a doll, yeah. and she's the size of a doll when she. That's hits so the ground too. creepy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's Greta. This yeah. is this is uh, that's in my top three like most unnerving deaths of the series for me. Mm. Um, and at that point, we're, we're that's a wrap for me in my top three for this this franchise because it's uh you know she kind of caps out with um debbie i mean it's like kind of reminds me of like the, the whole debbie sequence where it's just the, the body cruelty of it and just just how far they go with it and especially if you watch the unrated version of it where they're like digging out of a chest and feeding her yeah. like her own body and it's like you are what you eat like that that's the that's where a line like his sort of like hamminess works for me yeah um but in terms of like actual like um demonstrative uh, effects and everything like i mean that whole sequence with like the mc escher and then the whole body horror of them melding together and yeah. it's just so cool I mean, yeah the it's finale just, yeah. it's so unreal and i would have loved to have seen that in the big screen i mean i've seen we've seen you know the fourth one in the big screen this is one of the only ones of the original series i haven't actually seen on well, i haven't seen five and six but i've seen everything else now. well yeah. I, I think it's live because i think five uh, six is maligned for reasons that i understand i get it this franchise is out of steam at that point i think five gets maligned just because people haven't sat down and watched it as an adult because it's and it's not three yeah yeah it's not it's totally different from those previous two it's totally yeah. different it just is yeah, aesthetically. But like back to what you mentioned, going to see Jason Goes to Hell, which was the first Friday the 13th I saw at the theater. And I stand by that one as after eight movies, what the hell else were you supposed to do? Yeah, like, I remember. At least they changed yeah. it up and did something imaginative. Keeps going back to that. And at least with part five, much like Alien 3, they could have made part four, part two, but they didn't. Yeah. And they swung for defenses. And maybe it doesn't work completely. Yes, I would have loved part four, part two, but as it stands, it's it's a nice. I, uh, yeah, I also fall into that. Part. I always admire the swing, if not the execution, a lot of the time. I think that was my problem with um, what just came out. The the what's it called? The perfection with um, yeah yeah yeah. Allison Williams. Allison Williams mm-hmm. and that was pretty good. Uh, Logan Brown. It was pretty good. But I think I admired the attempt more than the actual execution itself. Yeah. But that's, we'll save that for the Perfection podcast coming next year. <laughs> Dan, do, what about you? Do Dan, six of those. <laughs> what do you got? Your, your favorite nightmare? I would say in terms of effects, it's probably the motorcycle death of Dan. But the one yes. that gets to me the most is, is definitely Greta. Um, the, the uncut version of it where it's become super clear that she's being fed bits of herself. And then just tied with the bulimia. And just there, I, once again, it goes back to that VHS, like seeing the back of her face all puffy coming out yeah. of the refrigerator mm-hmm. i didn't know what that was until i saw the movie i'm like what is this you know and then seeing the movie it just really it, it definitely lived up to that so i th- yeah i think that's that's gonna have to be the top for me i mean i would say that and the motorcycle death 
are in my my top five like favorite nightmares probably throughout they look, the whole series. Those are both. They great. look great, man. I mean, the effects. Even, even if you're just watching those scenes, even divorced from their context, I think they're still really disturbing. And there's something about the Greta scene with the way everyone's laughing at the table yeah. and just how gr- yeah. grotesque the food looks. It's. I think we talked about this, but it's the one time that Freddie's one-liners actually really work for me in this movie. Um, and the there's this weird sense of him trying to comfort her at the end. Um, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, what I, so that's what disturbs me. That, that's the most disturbing uh, part of Freddie for me in this movie. And, that's yeah, what he, and he ultimately makes her choke even more. So. Yeah. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah, and it go, just goes on a while. I mean, I mean, I think that between that and then in part four um, with the, the cockroach death, yep, I mean, the, yeah. the, just like back to back, we just get, I think, some of the most unnerving nightmares in the series. And I, I, I just really appreciate the length of them, too. They just go on and on and on. And um, yeah, so that, yeah, Greta, Greta for me, for sure. You mentioned Greta and, and the puffy cheeks. Something else we didn't point out from the great graphics section is I love the the model work of the heads mm-hmm. of the souls sticking oh, out yeah, of Freddy. That looks really, really good. And if you look a lot at, of care to that. And, it's and so cool. they, oh yeah, they the behind the scenes things. Yeah, they put a lot of work into that. But they look the, like the those toys ones, that used to squeeze. Yeah, but you see the mark, <laughs> the mark model of it. Yes, it's him, but he's got like the four slashes over yeah. his mask. So they really did put a lot of detail into that, and they look terrific. They look great. Just yeah. another credit to the incredible. Uh, makeup and in, in this entire series yeah well i wow i'll tell you what i'm getting a little tired Uh-oh. i need some medicine that's gonna it's gonna keep me awake mike what do you think cocaine? anything cocaine <laughs> cocaine it's a hell of a drug and it's too addictive for me i i, I have an addictive personality mike what do you think i should use here i think you might need some advil no i'm just joking hypnosil it's too late Kruger. i know the secret now this is just a dream. You're not alive. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friend again. What? I take back every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. Okay, so this section, we're going to give our final review of the of the film and a, a rating from one to four finger knives. So from one to four finger knives, we're going to kick it off with uh, Michael Mark. What's the last name again? <laughs> Seely? No, it's not Seely. That's the actor. I think. That is uh, Michael yeah. Mark Rothman. All right. Markle Rothman. You know, look, I, I think Nightmare 5 gets a lot of flack, but like I've said already on this pod, I, I really do appreciate its tranquility. I think it's a mess narratively, but when it does slow down, I think you really do get some nice gasps. The characters, you know, the, the afternoon in Alice's room, the late night in Mark's shadowy warehouse, the, that personal time Yvonne gets at the pool. Um, you know, there's a gothic loneliness to it all that really connects with what Alice is going through um, or what about she's about to go through. You know, the, the whole single mother thing. And, and it's a dealt when it's not dealing with uh, the screaming child at hand. And no, not Jacob, but uh, <laughs> old, old Freddie. Um, I mean, it doesn't help when the weakest part of the horror movie is the villain. And I've, I mean, I've already gone on about England in this movie, but it, it's just kind of sad watching this. It's like seeing a birthday clown do his fourth shift of the day and you kind of feel for him. But also you want to say like, eh, give it up, pal. And again, all this feeds into what I was getting at earlier, the, you know, the, the loneliness. And, you know, this is it's a movie that feels very left behind 
and you get a sense that it felt that way upon arrival. Um, you know, like much of this has to do with, you know, we talked about it was like when it was released, you know, in 1989, it's very weird. Um, it's like that, that phantom zone we had already discussed and very transformative and it, it was very irregular, you know, at that time. Um, they didn't really know what it was going for and, um, or where it was going to go or where the, you know, pop culture was heading. And, it felt like it's very own thing. And I, I think because of this nightmare five feels like a bastard sequel. Um, I think without leaning on another metaphor, it's like being at the tail end of a great big Halloween party, you know, like at four or 5 AM, there's some interesting things happening, but really it's kind of too late to put too much stock into it. People mm-hmm. have gone home, the sun's starting to come up and the decorations are worn out and ready for the trash. But you enjoy those last moments because you know, it's all over. So on that note, I'm uh, putting down my red solo cup and I'm giving this 2.5 claws. It's a two and a half for people out there who love fractions. Yeah. And I wrote all that down, if you couldn't tell. But. No, Mike, Mike's, Mike's being modest. He had his eyes closed the entire yeah, time. Right? <laughs> uh, Mike Vanderbilt, what do you think from one to four finger claws, finger knives? I'm swinging between the 2.5 to the three mm. on this one. And if there's any reason it gets a three, it's because it, I'll be... Full disclosure, it's because of nostalgia. It's because mm-hmm. uh, I, this reminds me of being a uh, kid. I like watching this movie. Like, And again, back to my point, the worst Elm Street, your least favorite Elm Street sequel is still better than the best Friday the 13th or um, Halloween sequel. But there is, like you said, a certain loneliness to it. And uh, there's a sadness to it because I think it almost it is representative of the end of the 80s. Because mm-hmm. Freddy's Dead is... Oh, it, it that's a st- that's a that is a franchise ha- that has run out of steam. Yes, yeah. This is the last gas. Mm-hmm. But that said, it's totally imaginative. I appreciate as much as I would have loved part four, part two. It does try to grow with the audience, which doesn't I don't think panned out for them at the box office or in the long run. That they were like, you know what, the teenagers who love these movies are are turning into adults now. Let's have these characters graduate high school and deal with more adult issues even if it's just surface level stuff Mm. pregnancy potential of motherhood and um even greta's uh uh body uh dysmorphia issues like they swing for defenses on it they don't always hit it but i always appreciate uh the the swing even when it is a miss so yeah two and a half I, i you know i'll swing i'll give it three I'll give it three because it's still a nightmare. You know what? It's still a nightmare in Elm Street movie. So there you it go. That's, that's it. a nice attitude to have about Dan. What do you, what do you think? I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to highball it here. Like I usually do. Cause I'm, I'm the most, uh, I'm, I'm the weakest critic. What can I say? Uh, I will say three and a half finger. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. I'm gonna go th- right. yeah because I, I know, I know we've, um, yeah, we've talked about our issues with Freddie in the movie, but I totally agree with what you said, Justin, about it succeeding in spite of that. And the, the nightmares for the most part, even super Freddie, which, it's just like a few seconds I don't like of it. The rest of it, to me, it it, it knocks it out of the park, I, in addition to the, the ones we've already talked about. Um, I like where it takes the story. If the acting is good, it feels like a, a good continuation of 4. I would say, on a whole, I like The Nightmares better than I do in 4. Um, yeah, and going to what Mike said about the, ima- the imagination, I mean, it's that's always going to get points for me. And I... I always thoroughly enjoy this movie and I always forget about how elaborate and, I, and gothic I know, I know, but that, that's an accurate word to describe it. Like it really feels like 
they swing for the fences. And so, yeah, and I, I would say I like it. I think I gave th- four, also three and a half, maybe three. Do you remember, Justin? I can't. I, can't, I, don't, uh, I don't remember. We'll have to throw up those nose, oh, it, excuse me, those it, finger it, and eyes ratings later on. <laughs> either way, I, li- I like it slightly better than four. Um, so, yeah, it's got to be three and, a half, three and a half for me. Um, and, and once again, uh, you know, we'll wait till we get to Freddy's Dead, but I, I, I think watching Freddy's Dead will make me like this movie <laughs> even, <laughs> all, all, even more. So this will yeah, be, this what, be your what, masterpiece for you. I, I, Dan, yeah, I, I think I, I liked what you said, how it, the, like being forgotten. I think it kind of is the forgotten. It is. It, yeah. it doesn't totally. stand out because it's either awful or great. You know? As weird as two is, and I like two. That's, I still that's stand got a whole new life to it. Too. I but two, too. because yeah. of that... And because of kind of uh, people not liking it for so long, much like Halloween 3, it does have another life. Yes, Um, I uh, Before we start this podcast, I said there's something about those first five that I've always liked. I think this this entry is easily the best part five of, (laughs) I'll say, any horror series. Mm -hmm. Is that... I never saw Leprechaun in the Hood, but um, I'm going to go on the. I'm it's go better than Leprechaun in the Hood. Leprechaun okay. But uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big defender of Prometheus. So uh, oh god, Dan, Dan, that's a prequel. Dan, that's a prequel. That doesn't count. Uh, sure, that that's is true. Um, I feel like Alice in a way, which is appropriate because you know she uh, takes the strengths of her of her friends, and I feel like I've taken the strengths of my of my friends and colleagues here. So I do agree with all of your takes, and they equal to me uh, three. Finger knives out of four. Again, I think that the, there are strengths in this one. Oh wait, real quick. This is uh, out of four. Out of four finger knives. Yeah, not five. No. Oh, man, I feel like I should do. I should do three then. Um, but no, no, I'll stick to it. I'll stick to it. Because uh, yeah, think I, I already have right. it etched in my arm that you put uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, three and a half this time. Dan, I always sorry. forget that's out of four. Uh, it, Freddy well, only has four. He it, only has four. Knives, right? Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. uh, I just wanted to say that I think that there are strengths here, and they they do things here that. Actually, opposite of you, Mike, though, I know you say you get nostalgia. I get the opposite. Like, I didn't appreciate this when I was a kid, but I appreciate it much more now. I appreciate the 180 they take in tone. And I think the amazing thing for me, um, based off of what Mike had said, is this actually works really good despite the villain, which you cannot say about anything else, really. I can't think of any other franchise or movie you can say that about. Um, I love, once again, the gothic overtones. I love the effects. I think that you've got your strongest core of characters here since Dream Warriors at the very least. I, um, yeah, I think we've said it all. We've said it all. Uh, this is, uh, this movie's aged better than a lot of the other horror sequels out there I, in a way I never expected it would as a kid. I think that's the most impressive thing about it because like when I talk about my nostalgia, I liked it when it, I saw it when I was 10 because it's a Nightmare on Elm movie and it's yeah. got cool kills. And then one day, I think I was watching it on the Sci-Fi Network because it was on, and I was like, oh, they were really trying to do something yeah. with this one. The dramatic beats land. Um, and, and also, I, I will get nostalgic for this, though. It does take you back to a time of, of when franchises were, were trying to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to constantly reboot themselves. They were trying to have through lines so you could keep caring about these characters as you went from movie to movie as opposed to just... You know, here's X killing a brand new set of letters. Not to get too off base, but did you guys ever read the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street comic book series from the mid, like the early '90s? I did not. I read. Uh, I read one from like the early aughts, but no, I don't think I read one that came out during this. Is they good? um they had I there was only a handful of issues. I think it was from Image. 
maybe. Yeah, but like they brought back all the Dream Warriors in the Dream, and Alice was there. Oh and wow, Nancy was there, and like <laughs> Kincaid was a Panther, I think. Wild. What? I think he turned into a Panther. Oh, in the I dreams. gotta find these. We uh, gotta get that for that episode. We'll, too. we'll have a nice big episode uh, near the end of the year, I would assume. Hopefully, based but on they all made the it a point to bring back all the characters because mm-hmm. they knew Nightmare on Elm Street fans really dug the heroes as much as they dug the villains. Well, hey, I mean, you look at those early Freddy versus Jason drafts and Alice is in most of them. Yeah. You know, with Tommy Jarvis. And which, I think New oh, Line God. just went, let's just go as as rebooty or as fresh as possible. Yeah. But we'll talk about that in a couple months as well. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, thanks everybody for listening to continuing uh, to continue supporting our, 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 our wonderful podcast and our podcast network, especially... Halloween, uh, excuse me, especially Losers Club, <laughs> a Stephen yeah. King podcast, our other podcast that we're very proud of. Please continue to go out there, you know, rate, review us on iTunes, whatever you're listening from. Tell your horror friends out there. I guarantee a lot of them have not heard of our podcast, and I'm sure that they will love it just as much as you do. Uh, but until, uh, you know, th- there's a saying that I'm often reminded of. It's, it's a bit of a warning. I think Nancy Thompson gave in the first film. And that is, whatever you do, don't Don't fall asleep, bitch. This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>